0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Actual Eye Podcast. We are live on YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook, streaming Meaning Making 101. And in this episode, it's going to be part 15 of John Verveke's Awakening from the Meaning Crisis series, covering Marcus Aurelius and Jesus. This is going to be a really good episode. I have previewed it. And very much looking forward to sharing this one with you guys. We'll talk a little bit on our last episode while I get everything running up here, let me get us live on Facebook. Yeah, sorry, oh, you're I'm a little brother. bit, yeah, a little bit behind. Let me uh, roll yeah. these notes back. If you want to help me here, we'll start going over a quick review of the Cynics, the Stoics. Oh, okay, these episode that we just saw, part fourteen of the series, episode fourteen. Yep, Alexander the Great. That was a really good episode too. It's a little bit challenging, but it's a good one. So we defined a term polis
1: which is city state um which is a long term con- uh continuity of culture so it's mm-hmm. not, not just the place it was just the place you know it was it was the city and the state and state being the people yes um that's where we get politics you know from the word polis or at mm-hmm. least that's what i've been told and gathered could be wrong um and ostrac- uh, being ostracized is the worst punishment so at this period of time we wanted to go if you wanted to do anything you go to the the polis you mm-hmm, go to the mm-hmm. center of people if you you know if you want to go talk in the market and you know have your back and forth or anything you go to the center yes. and to be excluded from that is horrible but then we have people like Diogenes who would you know, go out and live in a barrel with the dogs, like out and mm-hmm. lowering himself to the lowest standard. Yes,
0: one of the cynics. Um,
1: yeah, tr- yes.
0: Yeah, that, that made an art out of shocking people. They really mm-hmm. liked that aspect of Plato. But then this guy Zeno comes along, and he also liked Plato's method of yeah. logos.
1: and he. But he was less... You know, shock and awe about it. It was was more of a. He
0: appreciated the shock and awe, but he also saw that there's more to Plato than just the shock and awe. It's like, okay, guys, you're doing a good job of bringing about aporia in people, but you're not actually drawing them in to the how they can improve themselves. So, give me just one second here. I'm going to stop and restart the stream, guys, for like two seconds just to make sure that Facebook is running. Okay, let's see what happens. Are we rocking? Yep. Okay, now I can go live. On uh, Facebook, word to Big Bird, what's up, fam? Hey, hey, hey! Hello, 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 Facebook fam. This is Actual I live meaning making 101. Tonight we are covering episode 15 of John Burbake's Awakening from the Meaning Crisis. Thank you guys for tuning in. We're also live on YouTube and on Twitch. And if you prefer to watch us on YouTube, please do so. We're trying to mm-hmm. accrue more listeners here. And uh, make sure you hit that like and subscribe. So we were just talking about the polis. Yeah,
1: so the polis is the centralized, long-term, con- uh, the continuous culture in a place. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be ostracized from that is the worst punishment one can deal with. And you yes. are being drawn in towards that.
0: And this is the the very beginning of a deep identification with culture for people on a civilizational level. So you have wide swaths, wide... Well, I
1: I would say it's probably the pinnacle of it because then what happened Mm -hmm. is when the Hellenistic age was entered, um, everything got spread out. You didn't know your neighbors as much. Um, It's a domicile, the destruction of home. You didn't have that home anymore because maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, just a week ago you were in a totally different place and, you know, you came over by ship and same with the person next to you. Um,
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so everyone had different gods. People are being flung around. There's basically 300 years of turmoil during the Hellenistic era where these – so all people are getting moved around as the empire has spread, and then the empire starts to dissipate and fall fall Mm -hmm. apart. But in the process of this, all these different gods and connections were being made, and there was – and now we have this sense of domicile, as you said, as the shared – Religion, shared culture, share, shared things like that, start to become lost. So the, the feeling of a destruction of home and deep alienation. And they called this the age of anxiety. Mm-hmm. So, the, yeah, the art became less idealistic. It became more realistic. There's more stories of tragedy.
1: Yeah, and then this is, I guess, the era of the combination of gods, what they call that, sen- syncretism.
0: S- s- sen- yes. Sync or syncretism. 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 Yeah, syncretism. Yeah,
1: is the smushing yeah, yeah the smushing together of a bunch of different gods it's right. it, it's no coincidence that you know the romans have basically the same gods that the greek did they just have different names and slightly different aspects to them but they still represent you know you got your god of war you got your father god you got you know the the siblings of the father god that each have their domains whether it's the sea or partying or you know um yeah yeah the,
0: the and, gar, yeah the god of what did they call that? Um, not frivolity, but you said it last episode, actually. You oh. had the term for it. God to party. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: Well, yeah. Uh, you know, like what is it? Dionysus, like mer- merrymaking and wine. making. There you go. Yeah. That was the term.
0: Uh, we did. We had, a, we had gods for everything. We had gods for the wind and for streams yeah. and rivers and lakes and sky and feelings. God, gods and for punishment.
1: And punishment <laughs> and everything, man and so we had a man Epicurus who yes this quote is his call no man a philosopher who has not alleviated the suffering of others so that gives us a definition of a philosopher is like what's a philosopher doing well they're attempting to alleviate the suffering of others
0: yes 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 Um, that's it
1: so those those are the epicureans Mm -hmm. um and they believe that our main problem was fear. And we're using the term fear as like an anxiety of the nebulous threat opposed to an observable direct threat. So like you're afraid of the tiger that you see because it's a freaking tiger. We're not talking about that kind of fear. We're talking about the walking through the woods, potentially maybe there's a tiger. You got the anxiety of the tiger, but you haven't yet. Uh Yeah. Um, Uh, We suffer because we can't manage our anxiety. So that's, the main takeaway from the Epicure—well, I'm sure there's a lot more main takeaways, but at least the one that stuck with me long enough to—I like his quote too. That.
0: He said, "Call no man a philosopher yeah, yeah. that has not alleviated the suffering of others." Yeah, so that's so. What, at this point, philosophy is now starting to incorporate the idea of if you're not healing people, yeah. you're, if you're just talking about stuff, you're not—you're not of you're not any use.
1: And so we can't control our imagination; uh, it—you it, know—it—it it gets away with us. Um, but you know, p- perhaps we can, you know, if we're going to be good Epicureans, limit our anxiety and how we feel it. It'd be interesting to go in and see what their practices were, you know, to you know physiologically get rid of the anxiety too.
0: Yeah, yeah, because they did they did see philosophers as physicians of the soul that helped heal our existential yeah. suffering, and so the Stoics tried to exemplify Socrates. now we introduce the stoics
1: uh real quick before we go on though the the, this um the epicureans so Mm -hmm. and death um you can't pursue immortality that's just you can't but you can radically accept your mortality you can't be anxious about your own death because you're not you're not anxious about never existing before yourself that's not a thing and so when you're when you're dead basically that's just then another then
0: yes yes right yeah yeah it's it's really about coming to terms with life while we're living it coming to terms with death yeah. rather than just expecting some immoral it's, it's afterlife the,
1: it's the and, loss that that we're having the the issue with it's the yes. losing of this life the losing mm-hmm. of
0: regardless of if there is an, an afterlife or not at this the point is even in the version where you have an afterlife, the point is to live your life well so that you can make it into the afterlife. Mm-hmm. If there is no afterlife, live your life, life well one. because there is no nothing left. So, it's, so I, I like that. There's that a, The two different approaches still incorporated that insight.
1: And so I, there's a quote here that I like. Um, where I am, death is not. Where death is, I am not. And that is 100% unfalsifiably true mm-hmm. because, well, if you are where death is, you're literally not there because you're dead so you is not there and <laughs> yeah right flip it around and say it again the other way around it's still you're not there because you're dead <laughs> yeah, the you yeah, of yeah. your body will be there but the you that we we associate with being us you know is not there the the structural functional organization is not there there you go you are corpse not human
2: <laughs> Yeah, <right. laughs> and it's incorporated my and friends. it's the
1: lack of something that is very hard to define but immediately observable, being alive, mm-hmm. being conscious. And we're like, Well, That's what is point. consciousness and all that stuff? But you recognize it when it ain't there. Yeah, like, you do. immediately. Yeah. Absolutely. Like to the point where like you start to sweat and
0: you know, you have full
1: on responses. Oh yeah, yeah. Um Yeah.
0: Yeah, when someone isn't totally conscious around you or when you're not feeling totally conscious, you gotta go speak in front of the class and uh, you don't feel ready.
1: So this definition of the fear of death that we've been working around is only partial. It's really the fear of loss of agency mm. being that agent in this agent arena world relationship. You're losing yes. your agency. And that's probably why we fear like imprisonment. Um, yeah. It's and... not the
0: length of time. It's the depth of experience. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, we don't even like being put into solitary confinement. Yeah. You know, because we're going to be a, away from other people. We're yeah. such social mm-hmm. animals. So they, the Epicureans suggest that we radically accept our mortality yeah. and be aware of the loss of awareness as what is, Yeah. It, it's not the loss of awareness so much as it is the loss of agency, as you were saying. Yeah. So find what is good. Yeah, yeah, that's... And yeah. that's not just what is pleasurable, but most pleasurable in the sense of what is most meaningful. Yeah.
1: Opposed to like, you know, we we tend to say we're, Oh, well, we're, we're, you know, if you die, you lose your fame, your fortune, your wealth. Mm -hmm. But really what's happening is you're losing what is, you know, good.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. You're losing your connection to joy.
1: And, um, so the Epicureans, the last note I have here is friendship gives meaning. Hmm. That's why we feel the loss of friends so deeply. And so I guess the Epicureans were the first to really, you know, break into the world of you know man woman crippled athlete whatever you know where friendships are built between all individuals and we should strive towards that even though we're in an imperfect world we can strive towards that because like previously uh, they had democracy but it was only represented by the top land-owning uh uh, male aristocrats basically yeah that yeah. are of whatever ethnotype it is yeah. considered to be the most native to that right city-state you know usually through really like family names you know family bonds and other stuff because mm-hmm. you can trace those back and it's like well my family's been here longer than your family therefore i have more say mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. like yeah there's there's something to that argument but it's not the whole argument <laughs> right right so we're you know in the Hellenistic era we have people that are trying to Breach these divides between people and really like, you know,
2: <clears throat>
1: almost, I don't want to say atomize but break down the information and distribute, distribute it and build friendship networks that are, you know, in the other definition of the word philosophy, this, this fraternal joy, but with yes. of discussing these things, but with everybody.
0: Wisdom, yeah. Yeah. So it really was a fellowship style of friendship that they were speaking of that what gives us meaning is friendship in the pursuit of wisdom and self-transcendence together mm-hmm. in fellowship. Yeah. So that's that's what the word philosophy means. It's mm-hmm. the love, but it's the filial, it's the friendship love mm-hmm. of wisdom. Philosophia.
1: Yeah. So uh and he briefly brought up the, you know, the stoics and I put godfather of cognitive therapy because we still use certain mm-hmm. principles. And so there was Socrates, and then there was Plato, which he was the argument- argumentation type, you know, like always asking questions, going out there and talking with people, mm-hmm. and, you know, can you argue your point? And then you have the confrontation end, and that's where you get diagony. It's, it's, uh, you just confront, you know, the the gluing yourself to things and screaming in the streets and stuff. You know, that's, that's uh, you know, if you were to... uh make a make a god of internal human forces i guess you know that would be the same one that p- possessed diogenes at this por- period of time right um but uh oh and An- antisthenes <laughs> man these names i know uh, that. yeah all i have written is talk to himself Oh,
0: yeah. he learned <laughs> but, how to internalize yeah, socrates yeah, that's socrates, what it was yeah Socrates' way of conversing mm-hmm. within yeah, yeah and he fine-tuned it and this was to counteract the crisis of domicide, so to try and create a system of reciprocal opening, just like the Buddha created in the East as the answer to their breakdown, to their actual age. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, Socrates' way represents a systematic set of psychotechnologies, which we have learned are things like contemplation, meditation. Mm-hmm. There's very many psychotechnologies that we as humans have come up with, including language, so they're technologies of the psyche so a systematic set of these kinds of psychological techniques for reciprocal opening which means opening onto reality in a way that is reciprocal uh, what's another word for reciprocal now i've gotten so used to this word
1: circular um oh, o- o- oscillative you're, um, you're in a trade-off I back, and, back forth. and
0: forth dancing Interactive, inter informing. You're informing. So if one person moves a certain way, you shift slightly to maintain and keep hold, mm-hmm. or you know, stay with the movements in dance or a counterpoint, ball, whatever between... it is. So reciprocal mm-hmm. opening.
1: Yeah. So Diogenes has a quote: "I am looking for an honest man." And this is him in the market um, <laughs> right? in the marketplace holding up a lamp, but then he'll you know go out in that same marketplace and start spanking it. And yeah. The point was this: that was the, that was the so, cynics. They they were all about
0: shocking people. So the
1: point the point he was making is w- w- With that is there's a difference between disgust and morality. Mm-hmm. And you may be disgusted with me and would have me feel shame, but you should feel guilty because you have no morals. That's yeah. where we get shame and guilt from. Shame is a disgust thing. You you feel shame or you shame people because of things that come from with you know like Virveki said from inside and. And then come out like not making your bed or leaving refuse around and other stuff. That's the shame. And guilty is when you have a moral value that you didn't stand yes. up. Yeah. You so didn't.
0: shame has violated purity, moral, Yeah. like purity codes that your society has. Opposed
1: to moral codes, which is where you get, um, you know, his point was like, I can be shameful and I can live with the dogs. And, you know, I can be crazy, but I cannot find a moral, honest man
0: mm-hmm. among
2: you. Mm hmm.
0: Yeah, they, they were trying to yeah. help people see how to set our hearts on what is not man-made, but what is longer term and natural, like the yeah. cosmic order, because the things that are invented by man go away, and that will just cause us suffering. These outer things are always temporary. Yeah. So live according to the patterns of nature and moral laws, as they put it. So they tried to come up with a distinction between the different mor- moral codes, the purity codes that are designed to keep... Boundaries and power structures uh, surviving, you know, power structures that have mm-hmm. an interest in defining these these purity codes. Sometimes they're useful. Sometimes they're just weird well, leftovers so, from an older time. And,
1: and also, like, you know, particularly with uh, things like, you know, hygiene things, like not eating certain things or not eating with certain hands and other stuff like that. Like, you know, we have toilet paper and bidet seats now and you know, we'll use our left hand to eat because our left mm. hand isn't the one that we're yeah. removing excrement. But in a lot of cultures you don't do anything yeah, right. with your left yeah, that's yeah, your yeah, poop. Yeah. And it's still that way, even though these cultures are, you know, they have perfect ba- you know, still bathroom, perfectly good swimming, bathroom bath- facilities and water. Plumbing, yeah. Um but yeah, so the ma- you know, the man-made things versus the nature of things. Things and mm-hmm. um, Alexander the Great came, to Diogenes, and he's just, you know, laying out there, probably with the dogs, and he's like, you know, if there's anything in the world that I could give you that you would want, like, I'll give it to you. What do yeah, you I want? Can give you have the world.
0: Like, yeah, I own this whole whole planet. And
1: Diogenes is like, you know, just could you move over to the left a little bit. You're blocking, bit. My, You're blocking son my, like... my son, <laughs> which that's very British comedy too. You yeah, know? like like. Actually, there might be something. And to so them.
0: the so the cynics had some wit and some cleverness to them, but they they did not teach the how. Yeah. How to actually become a moral 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 yeah. exemplar. Well, because just living they just with the dogs just living in their own way.
1: Yeah, li- just living with the dogs in the barrel yeah. doesn't do anybody any good. Yeah. Other than to be a performance artist and kind they, of. They were
0: shocking people, and yeah. they were trying to get their attention on things that they're like, "You're not really being moral. Here, you are all in the market, lying and cheating one another, and you're." grossed out by this guy over here spanking mm-hmm. it but you know he's not doing anything morally wrong he's just doing something that is a societal purity violation which you know eh, gross but still like you get the point of what and he knows
1: says. did he actually do that or is that just written
0: in you know written on the bathroom wall did yeah. you see what
1: you know did you see what because de- they, yeah. had, they had bathroom
0: graffiti so this then. is this is where Zeno and the stoics come yeah. in because Zeno's like well i like the cynics and i like plato but the cynics put too much emphasis on the product, on the idea, yeah. rather than the process well, to give of this, attachment that we come up with, that the, we build, and that's something that Buddha got into as well. And to get,
1: to give the cynics their due, you know, they were right in a sense, with if you set your heart on the wrong thing, you're setting
0: your heart on suffering.
1: So Absolutely. it's like, what, what are yeah. you setting your attention, your energy, your heart, your love, yeah. your passion Yeah, you have to
0: hyper-focus on it, it and they, they weren't giving us anything to do after that recognition. So that's where Zeno was like, right, there's more to this. It is definitely part of our community to be sto- uh, social. Um, and we have to be able to use, utilize our rationality to recognize the processes of how we can be in higher levels of relation with one another, with one another um so he recognized Mm co-identification and the assuming of identities and the signing of identities that Verveke is now speaking of and the recognition that we are vulnerable to self-deception all of these things start to come into play and mainly the idea that we need to meaningfully engage in self-realization and self-transcendence practices we have to be in the process and the actual how Mm -hmm. we're getting stuck on the event so to be on the how
1: yeah so maybe the 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 furtherance of the cynics don't set your heart on the wrong thing is it's how you set your heart on the thing yeah it's how you set your heart opposed to what you set your heart on yeah and Vraveki yeah, goes and in and that deep it this needs, episode,
0: needs... and man, this episode is like—I felt like I was getting bodied by Vraveki at points. I was like, "Damn, he's good. He's really, mm. he's really going deep on this one." It's—it's. It's, I feel I'm feeling called out in some ways, but if you're not feeling called out when well, yeah, you watch right. this, and you're not paying attention, and it's also not in a way that is going to leave you feeling put down. In fact, it's very much just a noticing, it's a recognition, and it's a light onto your awareness, and you're going to be like, "Oh shoot, I do that too." But now I'm seeing a way out of that, and that's very uplifting. So ultimately, this is a very inspiring episode. We get to cover Marcus Aurelius, one of the great Stoics and perhaps the greatest emperor that Rome ever had. This was actually one of the good guys. And then we get to go into a little bit about Jesus as well and Jesus' way. So, so this is going to be deep.
1: So my last note on this, and I think this is, this will uh, be a good segue Set your heart on the process of um, of co-identification, but with mindfulness, lest you muck it up. (laughs) Pay attention to how we assign and assume identities. Yes. Because it is a a co-assigning and assuming of things. Even if you're by yourself, you're still in an environment and have to assume things about your environment and assign things about your environment. And, well... It does it with you, too. You fall off the rock. Now you're food for a scavenging critter. Yep. It has assumed that... Well, it, it it assumes nothing. It just assigns you as dead. It is the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. And not the one from Game of Thrones. That was not a copyright thing. The mountain. An actual mountain.
0: That dude was a mountain. All right, fam. Well, we're going to jump on into it. This is episode 15 of Awakening from the Meaning Crisis. If you guys are enjoying this episode, make sure to give John Verveke a follow. Links are in the description. And check out the series for yourself. You can actually go into the settings here, and you can change your playback speed, so you can catch up with us pretty rapidly. It's comfortable to listen to at like a 1.25, 1.5, even as high as 2 or 1.75 once you get used to it. And if Verveke isn't talking particularly fast in that episode but it's this is a good way to be able to still at least skim through some of this stuff and you can rewind as you need this is a life-changing series so i'm really excited to welcome you all into joining us in the reviewing and the conversations around this groundbreaking work so yeah fam let's do the thing here we go
3: Welcome back to Awakening uh, from the Meaning Crisis. So last time, up our look at what was going on in uh, Buddhism, and then we moved back uh, to the West, and we started to take a look at what was coming after the Axial Revolution. And we saw that Aristotle's disciple, Alexander, ushered in a period of uh, turmoil and cultural anxiety, period uh, where many people were expecting or were experiencing uh, domicide in uh, a very wide, um, wide manner, a, a deep and profound sense of loss of home, not of having a house or a dwelling, but that connectedness, that rootedness uh, to one's culture, one's place, one's history, one's language group, one's religion, one's community, etc. And we saw that what happens is a change in the cultivation of wisdom. Notice again the deep connection between the cultivation of wisdom and the attempt to deal with enhancement of meaning or the response to a meaning crisis. What happens is a change in the notion of wisdom and that wisdom now takes on a therapeutic dimension in which the philosopher is the physician of the soul and has to learn to cure anxiety. And then we learned how the Epicureans responded to this, how they diagnosed the problem like a physician and prescribed a response. They they diagnosed the anxiety of the period of the Hellenistic domicile as being caused by an anxiety about one's own mortality. We took a look at that, and we took a look at how they responded to that. They advocated giving up, I would argue, the quixotic attempt to achieve immortality and instead trying to come to an acceptance, a lived acceptance of one's mortality, and they did that by getting you to realize, by slowly getting to you to realize, getting clear about your nebulous anxiety, that it's not about non-existence, it's not about experiencing total loss, it's about experiencing partial loss, and then there's a remedy to experiencing partial loss, which is to, right, set yourself upon those things that are actually constitutive of meaningful happiness, and then realizing, deeply realizing, and structuring your lives so that you will have those up until the moment of your death, which is philosophically informed friendship, meaningful relationships in which we are afforded the cultivation of wisdom and self-transcendence. Now, while I think mortality salience is definitely a part of the Hellenistic crisis, I don't think the Epicureans have a comprehensive understanding. And to get a more comprehensive understanding and diagnosis, we turn to the Stoics. But in order to understand the Stoics, we have to understand the group that they developed out of. Those were the Cynics. And the Cynics were not as impressed by Socrates' argumentation as Plato was. They were much more impressed by Socrates' capacity for confrontation and provocatively inducing aporia in people. And they started to practice this. And in doing so, they started to force people to realize the distinction between moral codes and purity codes and to thereby pay more careful attention to what they're actually setting their hearts upon so that their hearts would not be broken by being set on man-made impermanent cultural systems and values. Zeno, cynic, was deeply impressed by this, but he was also impressed by Plato's argumentation. He wanted to integrate the two together, and he also had the fundamental insight that although particular cultures and historical uh, institutions are contingent, being social is not. We are inherently social in the depths of our humanity. So leaving the polis was not actually an option, according to Zeno. Instead, what we have to do is realize that our issue isn't what we're setting our hearts upon, but how we're setting our hearts. Pay more, much more attention to the process than the product. So, you can see how the Stoics are even picking up on something that's implicit in the Epicureans. The Epicureans aren't trying to change the world and eradicate death, by bringing about immortality, the Epicureans are trying to get you to reframe, have an insight, not just an intellectual insight, but an existential insight, that changes the meaning of your mortality. And this was the the core of the Stoic insight. Pay attention to how that existential meaning is being made. Pay attention to how that process of co-identification, the way we're assuming and assigning identities is occurring, because that's where your self and your identity and your agency are being forged. The problem is, most of us let that process go by mindlessly, automatically, and reactively, and so we mar this process. We make it susceptible to distortion. And that distortion is going to be a distortion that affects the very machinery of our self, of our being in the world. So what did the Stoics advocate that we need to do? Well, we need to bring this process of co-identification, of assuming various roles of our agency, assuming various identities, and assigning various identities in the arena, We need to bring this whole, right, co-determination, co-creation of agency and arena into our awareness. So they advocated prososh and prochiron. And you're going to see similarities here to what we saw in Buddhism, but also some differences. So prososh is to pay attention. Now, obviously, we're always paying attention, so that's useful, useless advice. What they meant is, pay attention to how you're paying attention. Pay attention to how you're judging. Pay attention to this process. Learn, right? Learn to see there's a difference between the meaning, and I mean here, the modal meaning, the existential mode you're in, I don't mean semantic meaning. Learn to distinguish between the meaning and the event. Let's stop here. Let's stop here. This is the core, I would argue, of all of our current psychotherapies, that are cognitive psychotherapies. Learning to distinguish between the event and the meaning you give the event. Because this is happening, this is like when I talked before about your glasses, they're normally transparent. Because we almost always unconsciously framing events, the meaning and the event are fused together. But here's the issue. They're not identical. Events are events. The meaning is the co-identification process that is taking place in response to the event. That could be a process of parasitic processing that's not intrinsic to the event at all. In fact, the meaning isn't part of the event at all. And this is important. Because if you keep them fused, you will be confused. If the meaning and the event are fused, the only way you can alter the meaning is by altering the event. The problem with that is, sometimes you can, but here's the thing. Here's the thing that the Stoics are doing, and this is very much like what the Buddha was doing with trying to make you realize how threatened you are. You do not have as much control as you think you do. Epictetus, one of the great Stoic philosophers, starts his manual for living, basically his instruction manual of how to try and live a Stoic life, with saying, you know, the core of wisdom, the core of wisdom is knowing what's in your control and what's not in your control, and stop pretending that things are in your control that aren't. Because most of the time, we do not exercise as much control over events as we like to believe, and we delude ourselves that we do, precisely because if we lose control of the event, we will, of course, lose control of the meaning because we have fused the meaning and the event together. We are confused, Existentially confused. How can such a confusion occur to us? We've already talked about this. I mentioned Eric Fromm, when we talked about the being and the having mode. I mentioned that at that time, and we would come back to it, that Fromm was directly influenced by the Stoics. It's the Stoics who got us, right, to realize, right, to use Frommian language, the distinction between the having mode and the being mode. The having mode is met by controlling things. And there are some things we literally have to control. Water, food, air, shelter, But most of our more, most pertinent needs are not meet needs that are met by exercising control. They are needs that are met by enhancing meaning. We have to become. Look, the being mode is met by developing the agent-arena relationship, by becoming mature, which isn't just something that happens inside of me. Look. When I become mature, it isn't just that I'm changed inside, I also inhabit a different arena. And we recognize that socially. That's why we don't let little kids get married, or drive cars, or own guns. They're not allowed to move in a certain arena. Maturity is an agent-arena relationship. It is a particular existential meaning. But if you do not know how to separate the meaning from the events, you're liable to be very seriously modally confused, such that you pursue maturity by trying to have a car. You pursue being in love by having sex and controlling and manipulating. But it doesn't work, because you really can't exercise as much control over the world as you need in order to stabilize the meaning. Do you see how this is like the cynics still? Right? You're trying to control a world that largely is beyond your control. You're setting your hearts on things, and your heart's going to be broken. But it's not just about man-made thing. Anything, anything can fall prey to this. You have to practice bringing into your awareness, in a way that is transformative and developmental, the distinction between events and the meaning of events, and realizing this. You often act as if you have no control over the meaning, because you're ignorant of the processes and it's transparent to you, and you focus on trying to control the event, in which you often, often have much less control than you realize. This is what you should do. Pull the two apart, the meaning and the event, and recalibrate your sense of control and identity, because you have actually way more control over this than you realize, or practice, and you have way less control over this than you realize or practice. That's why the core of Wisdom is knowing what's in our control versus what's not in our control. So, how do you practice that, and how does your identity change as you do? Well, the practice is Chiron.
0: Okay, we're going to take a quick break now to just sum up the beginning there before we get too deep into yeah. So He was just talking about Prosash, mm-hmm. right? How we can pay attention to how we pay attention to how we judge. What was the definition he gave? That? Uh, that pay
1: attention to the process. See the difference between meeting mode and the event, so, yes. or meaning, as in the modality of meaning, not the, not the um, uh, what's the, like word the existential that, mode that yeah, we're in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the uh, so uh, the mode of semantic
0: meaning, but yeah. the actual meaning. Yeah, and this becomes um, the core of the, our modern day psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. If yeah. Meaning and event are are fused fused together together, but they're not identical yeah
1: they're not identical but they are fused together but they're refused they're fused together in a and like so the event happens and we make meaning out of the event something Mm -hmm. happens and we make meaning out of that
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um the fusion of event and meaning locks them together so well if you want to change the event you have to change the meaning and that doesn't work and you have to avoid the confusion of fusing event and meaning together. Yeah, and the that's...
0: problem is that we're confusing the event and, the interp- and our interpretations of events, the way the meaning of the event strikes us. Mm-hmm. And those two things are not together. So yeah. we're being confused. We're fusing things together the wrong way in so, our minds. It, we're, th- we're thinking that our meaning of an event is the same as the event itself.
1: And this goes all the way. There's
0: there's definitely a difference between the two things. And
1: this goes all the way back to the concept that we started discussing episodes and episodes ago of mode confusion. I think it was when we first started talking about Buddhism, Mm -hmm. uh, modal confusion, confusing the having mode with the being mode. Because the having mode is a mode of controlling things. Like, you know, well, I have to go get food. I have to get water. I have Mm -hmm. to gather wood to stay warm. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. But many of our needs are not this having, many of our needs are not met by just this having mode of being. Many of the needs are met by enhancing your relationship with the arena
0: that you're in, enhancing the agent arena relationship. Yes, yeah, the meaning that we're giving to our experiences. And I like how Epictetus says, the core of wisdom is knowing what you're in control of and what you're not. Mm Mm-hmm and so stop pretending that you're in control of things that you're not because we're constantly applying emotional weight to different events in our meaning-making, in our agent-arena confusion. We're misidentifying. We're thinking that the event is the same as our interpretation in our heads, and I've, I've really got to read up on Eric Fromm. To have or to be sounds like a really good book. So if we're getting the difference between the having mode and the being mode, having thing, Having mm-hmm. mode is things that we can control Like, I'm thirsty. It's important for the body to have a a having mode so that I make sure I get water when I'm thirsty, I get food, and the species procreates and so on and so forth. But there's also a being mode that humans inhabit. And this is where our existential crises, our suffering, our anxieties, and everything are born out of is this being mode that is not being met. Because we're trying to become mature through things. you know. We're trying to become mature sure. by buying objects well, yeah. and stuff, and house, car, and everything. Yeah, you said
1: maturity is a agent-arena relationship. relationship. And mm-hmm. also, I put meaning-making in here, and it might have just been yeah. from Bleed. But I, I kind of like that as well. Maturity is a meaning-making relationship. so Absolutely,
0: yeah. Because when you're in the existential yeah. mode of being mode, when you're in yeah. your being mode, that's exactly what you're doing. You're making meaning, deep meaning that... That you can resonate with that's reliable and yeah and so, yeah. you know you,
1: you you don't make a competent driver by giving a three-year-old a car
0: right that's confusing the agent arena relationship you don't that, you that don't, agent is not ready for that arena yeah and that's you, why we have that separation in society kids yeah. are not ready to drive until a certain oh, and the age
1: the same thing whereas like you know like uh, you know, boys do it. They start wearing Axe body spray. At least when you know I was a young man, and the girls wear certain makeups and stuff to ha- do having mode maturity.
0: Yes, and the problem there is the modal confusion yeah. that we're getting ourselves into. We're trying to fulfill being mode needs, but I like feel being like in adult, love, but you've like never been in it, yeah. But having a fulfilling <laughs> yeah. relationship, yeah, we're having. T- sex oftentimes nowadays to try yeah. and fulfill sure. that well, deep being mode need, but we're trying to fulfill the being mode with a having mode orientation. Having sex is not going to Is not fulfill, making love. Is, is not going, is not, yeah. it, it's not making love in a long-term relationship. Well, it's, by any it's means. having versus it's making,
1: not- and making is a being, you're making mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. I think you mentioned this in a previous episode, but it stuck out to me, You know the difference between having sex and making love being in a relationship before opposed to dating Uh, yeah
0: oh i'm I'm going on a date i have a date tonight oh okay yeah we think we're so mature nowadays in the way that we're approaching relationships but i don't know i don't know guys
1: if it works for you and you truly feel like it does good on you
2: right but
1: there is something to be said about you know holding out and finding somebody that makes makes you feel like what Tom McDonald said makes you feel like you makes me feel like mm-hmm. me yeah that that other piece yeah. and it's it's worth looking it's worth looking for and not and I don't mean like you know just jumping on Tinder or other dating apps and looking in that way but being open and mindful for that to be there mhm because you know the world works in the universe works in mysterious ways and if you're not if your eyes aren't wide enough open you won't even see it when it's there mm. you know like right and that's all grandma knowledge, you know. Yeah. They're, they're telling you this stuff. Yeah. He, gr- but dating... we hunger for this. I yeah. like that
0: you brought Tom McDonald up. That line in that song, yeah. "I wanna be with you because 'cause I'm me with you." Yeah, yeah, uh, that, that, yeah. That's cool. That's a great line. I love that. But yeah, that's that's and the... that song is popping off because people are feeling it, young and old. Well, and it's it's tr- been a long time since we've had a good love song that's become yeah. a major hit. But it, it used to be <laughs> no,
1: it used to be nothing but love songs. I so got fed up to with do them. With sex. This is all about love yeah. and
0: appreciation. But yeah, that was cultivated in a partnership that they built together and worked hard together on. So that's a different game. Yeah. So we must practice bringing into awareness the distinctions between the event and the the events and the meaning that we give Mm -hmm. them. Otherwise, we are going to be in modal confusion. We are fusing things together in an improper way that causes Mm -hmm. us to be confused. So that's where we get that deep sense of nihilism or where nihilism comes from. We get the deep sense of meaningless, the deep sense of aporia, of domicide of not feeling at home
1: yeah and ultimately you have more control of how you make meanings of things than you do on an event mm-hmm. you know it's like you know the bubble kid you know the parents trying to prevent them from getting hurt but so they put them in this hermetically sealed you know house oh, yeah. with all the hand sanitizer. and it, there was a movie about it but i, think, I remember I think that he had movie. something but yeah. basically like you could see it's like you know the kid that's over sterilized and you know parents don't want him to get sick and all that stuff that's the sick kid that's mm-hmm. the kid that's always getting sick, yeah. And yeah. and so you're just trying to control event. I don't want kid to get sick. Mm-hmm. Whereas, mm-hmm. well, okay, what's the meaning of a kid being a little grubby creature that picks up all the dirt? And
0: why do they yeah. got to go through? The answer this to my and, fear is know? to have a deep, deep relationship with that person, with that kid, while I can. Every moment, let's make it as deep and as beautiful and as meaningful as possible. Of course, still protect them as well as we can, but not yeah. in such a hyper extreme way that we're disallowing them to have a deep sense of meaning and getting to experience their being mode with us
1: yeah actually like if we're to get like because if
0: it's like if it's the life that matters we want to have that meaningfulness together so deeply fulfilling meaningfulness not to get archetypical having you alive
1: not to get archetypical on you but um this is what I guess would be referred to the dev- as the devouring mother. You don't let your kid go out into the world because it's sacrificing the most important thing to you out into the world. And so you cloister them in, And but mm-hmm. they don't develop properly because part of the mother-child relationship is sacrificing that little booger out into the world let him go Mm -hmm. play out and scuff up their knees and do all that stuff and then Mm -hmm. you just end up devouring them and consuming them Mm -hmm. so archetypically speaking we'd call this the devouring mother yeah the kid Um, never
0: learns to be independent on its own yeah and the other
1: the other end would be the tyrannical father which is you know just like you know you need to learn some respect but you know beats the crap out of the kid and that's not respectful at all there's never
0: any follow-up wisdom or anything he just tells them all
1: he's doing wrong so so you go to tell them how and those are all confusions of not not being in the having mode the making meaning being in the excuse me being not being in the being mode being in the having mode so Mm -hmm. there's not much control you can have over this event Mm -hmm. and you can you know like sometimes you can't have water because you're in the middle of the freaking desert yeah you know, and so the you, whole
0: point here seems to be find the meaning within, Yeah, yeah. What, regardless of what's happening in the yeah. world, regardless of events. We don't have to be so easily swayed by the events that surround us. Someone yeah. smashes into your car, that could make for a really bad day, a really bad week. But you don't have to operate on that level psychologically with it. You can just notice, okay, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's my having mode being interrupted. I can see how my physiology is responding to this. I can feel the anxiety coming up in my body. But you can mm-hmm. reframe the situation for yourself too. You can re identify that having mode, mm-hmm. or I'm sorry, that uh, agent arena relationship mm-hmm. and say, well, you know, this is kind of what happens in life. I'm glad that I'm okay. I'm not dead. It could be worse. The other person could have been hurt or not either, blah, blah, blah. You know, all is well. Mm-hmm. Everything will work out. I'll just do what I got to do to put the pieces back together now. And you take the emotional weight and baggage out of that event, you de emotionalize it, and you bring meaning. Because we're getting our meaning from within rather than from what's happening outside of us. And,
1: and I can understand why this this idea that and practices of helping people understand the difference between the meaning of it and the event would help, you know, with like trauma therapies, whether, you know, it's, you know, like your PTSD wartime stuff or your, you know, your rapes or your parent died or uh, friend committed suicide or these things that like there are events based but are very profound and like you can get stewed up and stewed up in the like the you know well if i only just picked up my phone maybe i you know could have kept him from killing himself it's Mm. like well that's there's nothing you can do about that event that happened but the meaning is something you can do so the event yes happened tragic or horrible as it was the only way to move through is to separate the event from the meaning so you can actually put your time and energy into that yeah. meaning.
0: Don't just beat yourself up over yeah. that yeah. you know, and make yourself feel miserable. Yeah. You can take what you've learned from that experience and recognize, well, shoot up, I'm only human. This is my first time through as far as I know. I'm sure other people have made this mistake. I'm not proud of it, but I'm going to do a much better job of being there for my friends from now on. Mm-hmm. And you can deepen your life again. Yeah. And then you can bring a lot more value to your friends your families and your own life that way and you really can not maybe make up but in a sense you can make up for that event in a way and by honoring what you realized you were missing yeah. doing the work now we're all works in progress here we can't beat ourselves up so much
1: and it doesn't do anything
0: you know and no it doesn't yeah it's I'm, I'm kind like we're recapitulating <laughs> like something that someone did to us
1: yeah and yeah it's it, it it's not necessarily like easy to detach the two particularly uh, as far as event and the meaning particularly when it is things that have so much emotional weight because when we are emotional we're not as logical and that's where getting into the practice of something because yeah. if you practice it regularly it becomes just a repetitive thing that you can do yeah it becomes you know? internalized yeah. you know like that you know the the this the uh you know stereotypical soldier that has field stripped his rifle a million and a half freaking times that could just (laughs) go to sleep you know it's like that or the you know the kung fu guy that can you know do the perfect routine and end it with you know like the weird staff standing thing for the right amount of time and then come down gracefully oh sure do it repeatedly and then you can
0: take those moves into a fight and do them on the fly Nah, you know, with kung fu
1: not so much but you can take the lessons learned while doing this and how your body works like look at parkour you know you're taking basic movements practicing them over and over and over again and now you can fly you can freaking fly like I see these kids doing this and I'm just like you're flying <laughs> but you're you're learning to respond
0: to an event naturally yeah. in a state of flow but it's practice
1: and practice and practice I'm a be, well, musician it has to be
0: internalized so that it becomes an automatic response yeah. yeah so we have to rehabitualize ourselves essentially Yeah. Rehabitualize our psychology and
1: that word practice is important because it's not like when somebody says oh like a doctor my practice the reason why they call it is because that's where you do that's where you continually do and you keep up and you get better um or Mm -hmm. like say a religious practice it's something Mm -hmm. you're doing yes yes it's not going until it becomes automatic within you like the ideal of the good christian is to not say the words just on sunday Mm-hmm.
0: not to virtue uh, signal it, but to be, uh, it, to but live it. yeah,
1: but to keep doing it so much so that when you do get in the offender bender, instead of just losing your crap and cussing them out, you just, yeah. Or okay, when the temptation yeah, does come, yeah. you recognize are you all right, it for what all it right. is. All right. Yes. You know, yes.
0: <clears throat> it's and a tricky game, but we get plenty of opportunities. We've to got plenty of time to practice. Cultivate too. Our capacities here. Our lives,
1: al- our lives are just short enough that we can feel the value and the drive but mm-hmm. long enough where we can really gain deep insights like that. True. You know? Yeah, I wouldn't want to be an elf that lives for like thousands and thousands and thousands. What no.
0: does that do to you? No, and we get a proposition here in this episode too, which is going to be interesting. It's it's really is cool. Is that the Methuselah men?
1: The uh, the you'll, you'll see
0: if you haven't seen this episode yet. You'll you'll see. Yeah,
1: the, yeah, the idea what of me- does. we're going to play with that idea. The idea of myth, like being a Methuselah person, being like, immortal. Yeah, this actually is coming up because, you know, we're always looking for the new thing that'll make you live, live longer mm-hmm. and longer and longer. And I think it was on Timcast that they're like, you know, if you could take this pill or whatever and it would just keep you perfectly healthy and live like would you do it? And I the the point was brought up well, and Ian brought this up, well, you know, you can just get done with it and kill yourself, but really the the big point they're making was what kind of then rights does somebody who lives forever have? Because they're going to have to jump on everything. My argument is they're no longer Mm -hmm. going to be human once you live that long. The other thing is I'm not doing it. I want my lifespan to be within about 100 years, you know, give or take 40. Well, give or take 40, you know, on the top side or the bottom side. (laughs) Any longer, I don't, you know, you're you're not human anymore. And also, where's the spice of life but the urgency of death? That's where the flavor of life comes from is the rose is only beautiful because it dies. Yeah, right. It doesn't last forever. I've seen some really convincing it's a very special plastic thing that's temporary. I've seen some really convincing plastic, you know, plastic flowers that look beautiful, but then once you realize your plastic you're, they're plastic, you're just like yeah. oh. it loses the charm, doesn't yeah, it? Right? Yeah, right. You come up, you feel the petal and it's plastic and you're just like, Oh shit. That's that's not yeah.
0: Okay, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, feel that. Yeah. All, All right, right. guys, guess. Well let's jump back in here. Into Prochiron. John Verbeke's Awakening of the Meaning Crisis. Yeah, pro Chiron.
3: This means sort of ready to hand. It means remembering, but in the sense of sati, like mindfulness. It means remembering in a way that brings things, brings skills and sensitivities and sensibilities to bear in an appropriate and effective manner. It means remembering in a modally existential sense. So, you practice a bunch of psychotechnologies to try and get them so internalized that you can not know that there's a distinction. I know that I should go outside the nine dots, but I need to know how to actually separate these things. So, what do you do? Well, you engage in moment-to-moment practices. You can see this. A book where you can see somebody doing this. And the book has to be read properly, because many people misread the book. This is The Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. People read this book, and they often think the point of the book is to believe the propositions he is proposing. The book is not written to you. It is not an attempt to create beliefs in you. Therefore, using it as creating beliefs is mistaken. The book is written to whom? The book is written to himself. Marcus Aurelius is practicing what Pierre Hodot called spiritual exercises. He is practicing psychotechnologies that are attempting to bring into awareness the co-identification process and co-transform the meaning of the world and the meaning of himself as distinct from attempting to control and manipulate the world by accruing power and fame. And this was a a, a particularly difficult problem for Marcus Aurelius, precisely because he had power and fame. He was the emperor, many people consider him, I do as well, the greatest of the Roman emperors. He was the Roman Empire of, the Roman Empire when it was still in ascendance. Generally, he's considered the last great emperor of that ascendance, and The beginning of the decline is marked when his son assumes the throne. Uh, The movie, while in many ways, a fine movie, Gladiator, does not represent Marcus Aurelius well at all. Um, Marcus Aurelius said something that is, that really brings out both of these points. The, The challenge he faced, and not getting enmeshed in power and fame, because of the way power and fame fuse the meaning with the event. He famously said this, it is possible to be happy even in a palace. And now you can think of the Buddha leaving the palace. Marcus Aurelius, unlike the Buddha, unlike the cynics, doesn't leave the palace. He learns how to be happy even in a palace. Because he does not want to shirk his moral responsibilities. So what are some of these practices you see him engaging in? One is a practice that Hado call, calls objective seeing. I'm not quite happy with that term because of the, some of the associations with the word objective, but let us, let us, let us go on. Aurelius says, conceive of sex as the friction of two patches of skin and the production of a sticky fluid. And you go, ooh, that's kind of like, Diogenes in the marketplace. It's ew. Well, what's he doing there? What's he doing, and why is he doing it? He's married, he has children, so he's not a prude. In fact, he loved his wife quite, uh, quite deeply. What's he doing? He's trying to get you to realize the event of sex as distinct from all of the meaning we pour into it. The event is Friction between some patches of skin and the production of a sticky fluid. But we pour all of this into it. And there's all of this meaning. And he's not saying that meaning's wrong. That's not the point, any more than the being mode is good and the having mode is bad. He's not saying that. He's getting you to, he's getting himself to realize, to enact wait, there's a difference between the event and all of this meaning that I'm identifying with. All of this, rule, all of this rules I'm assuming, all of the rules I'm assigning. Right. The Stoics would recommend, get a cup that you're really attached to, a cup you really like. Start using it on a daily basis so that you really like it until it becomes very familiar, and then smash it. Because then you'll remember the distinction between the meaning and the thing. And if you can practice it with something that ultimately isn't that much of an event, with little things, then you can learn to do it with larger things. This leads to a practice that many people find distasteful for the Stoics. It's called premeditatio. When you're kissing your child goodnight, say to yourself, I may lose him to death tonight. Because you have to learn to distinguish the meaning from the physics. You have tremendous control over the meaning that you and your son are making together. You have very little control over the physics of his mortality. Yes, you can do things to protect him, and you should, but you can't move the universe. Look, we have got to remember this better, sati. We have entire genres that distort and refuse together the meaning and the event. They are pervasive in our culture, and I think they're much more pernicious than we realize. The ubiquitous evil is always the most dangerous, right? These are romantic comedies. Because romantic comedies teach us that. The narrative meaning we are assigning to things is aligned with, consonant with, in concert with the way the world is unfolding. So events will conspire to bring two people together. There will be difficulties, but the world will help them to realize until they finally end up together. Now, of course, we have tragedies to try and compensate that, but the romantic comedy Teaches us the wrong, the, the wrong. That's not how it works. I, I, I'm in love with an amazing woman. I, I, I admire her as a, I'm, I admire her as a person. I'm just so deeply grateful to be in this relationship, and it's growing and growing. Right, and I, and I. And, I, and, you know, and I'm, oh, this is fantastic. And I step out into the street, and I don't notice a truck coming, and it kills me. It doesn't care about my happiness. It doesn't care about my narrative. It doesn't care about all of that meaning that I'm making with her. It's real that we're making this meaning. It's part of our being mode. But it's not the same as the events that I'm experiencing. See, this leads to the Stoics' diagnosis. It's not mortality that makes us anxious, it's fatality. Now, here's another instance, and this, I, I would recommend Weiser's book, Beyond Fate, where we've, we've lost the meaning of a word. Because we associate that with mortality. Something that's fatal is something that has caused death. But that's not the root of the... Death is not the root of this word. The root of this word is fate. Now, there's two meanings to this. One is some sort of magical things are predestined by some supernatural force. I'm not talking about that meaning of fate. I'm talking about the way things are just, are fated to happen. They're just rolling from their own causal necessity. And here's the point. When we fuse these together, we become subject to the fatality of all things. Everything is fatal, in that the meaning and the thing are not identical, and if we forget that, we will suffer when they come apart. Now, I can explain to you the association. Why is this associated with death? Because death is where those come apart. Death is where the events of the universe and all of your meaning, and all of your narrative, and all of your identity, radically become unglued. Death is fatal. It reveals to you, in the ultimate loss of agency, that meaning and event are not identical. What's another practice that the Stoics engage in? The practice they engaged in is called the view from above, the view from above. You can see Marcus Aurelius doing it in the meditations. He says, imagine that instead of and think about the Solomon effect that we talked about. Moving from a first person perspective to a third person perspective. And there's all kinds of evidence about altering your level of construal having these very powerful effects on your cognition and your sense of self. And so, you're viewing, you're viewing some situation and you're enmeshed in it. Now, view it um, higher up, in space and time. And then higher up still in space. So, not just here, but, oh, but what's... Situate this event. Situate this event within all of Toronto. Oh, no! Situate it within all of Canada, within the whole world. Within not just the whole world now, but the whole world through all of time. What happens when you do that? Don't just say it. Try it sometime. Visualize it. Imagine yourself doing it. What happens is the agent arena is being altered, and all of this machinery is coming into your awareness, and your sense of self And your sense of what matters, and what's important, what things mean, is being radically transformed. You'll become more liable to pursuing more long-term goals, you'll become more flexible, you become more capable of rational reflection, self-transformation. This is all evidenced from construal-level theory. See, a bunch of practices that are designed to get you to bring into awareness this process of meaning-making and to give you the discernment to pull apart the meaning from the event. Most therapy is about getting people To see this, perspectival change, perspectival knowing, and then to identify with it, change their sense of self, their sense of control, so that they move off trying to so much change the events that they can't control as much as they deeply, desperately want to, to cognitively reframing the meaning and again, this isn't just semantic meaning. This is the identity, your participatory meaning, your existential mode. All right, we're back.
0: Alrighty. That was a lot of notes really fast.
2: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, My wrist
0: hurts. So we got into Prochiron now, which is remembering... In a way that is like bringing our skills and sensibilities together. It's a sati kind of remembering. He
1: used the the term or the the phrase "ready to hand." Yeah, ready. I don't. I don't think. Yeah, so I don't think that means like ready to hand you, but ready and at hand. Yes.
0: Yes. So skills, sensibilities, ways of of approaching. But because we can know, but we need to know how something is affecting us
1: so marcus aurelius's book meditations is not a how-to or Uh, self-help manual it's yeah it's his own reflections it's a set of psychotechnologies Mm -hmm. that he is practicing to garner more meaning and understanding in life and to be able to
0: he wanted to get in a better reciprocal relation with the world and so he was doing these practices that helped him develop meaning of self through being mode rather than having mode because he wanted to influence most effectively he really loved his people he really mm-hmm. wanted to influence them with wisdom and a way of being rather than through his fame and his power and he had mm-hmm. all the fame and the power mm-hmm. so the temptation was there
1: and i like that 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 uh quote it is possible to be happy even in a palace what a crazy because thing because if somebody you that, it, well that, if yeah, you do have awesome. like you know if you are if you're a
0: because you get numb to everything, right? Yeah, well,
1: so if you're a person that has, like, high notability and high responsibility and you want to get meaning and you're just like, well, I just got to dip out and disappear, well, mm-hmm. then then you're neglecting your responsibility. Yeah. You know, what would that be? You're neglecting your dharma, essentially. Yeah. So you can't just dip out. Yeah. So he's like, okay, well, how do you live in the palace and still maintain or still... Enhance the being mode. Yeah, how do I still generate meaning mm-hmm.
0: in this place? Because there's so many superficial ways that I can feel p- pleasure. I can feel good temporarily, mm-hmm. but none of these things are lasting. And I need something through which I can rule effectively, not just through my power or the sway of my personality, and my fame yeah. and position, which is really insightful for somebody in that position. Yeah, he, do- he doesn't want to shirk his... Responsibility to his empire. And so he does this crazy experiment where he is trying to conceive of sex and separating the event of what's happening mm. yeah that's from the meaning that we give it it's
1: called objective seeing it's it's yes, practice so at least one
0: attempted object, object objective scene might be what brevake would prefer because he doesn't like the term objective well and either, also it's why. it's not
1: objective like you know you're we don't know uh, if it's truly objective you're, not, you're yeah. not well you're not outside the system like We're going what, for objective though yeah, yeah. so obj- objective less of being outside the system and more of removing the meaning component to things so in sex it's just friction that creates a climax response and then he, and then causes one to yeah wow and then there's just a lot of sticky goo everywhere
2: mm-hmm. um, it's the same
0: thing when we're trying to find pleasure and happiness enjoying and meaning in things outside of us yeah. well and, and, and we feel ex- existential confusion so this is why we get into these existential crises of suffering so we must separate the meaning that we're attaching to meanings yeah. and the events that are actually happening, and
1: the importance of this first practice, and, and you should do it too. Sex was just an example, but you know, um,
0: I like the cup example. Yeah, so you, but it, it
1: it creates a distinction between the event and meaning mm-hmm. by just showing, just contemplating the event itself mm-hmm. and its. Grossest form and I don't yep. mean gross as an ick. No, but just Even, but gross just cause just, it, and effect it, physics. It whatever. is what it is. It's this amount yeah. of this happening here. Yeah. So I like the um, suggestion.
0: Use a cup a lot, that yeah. and get to like it a lot. And then, and then break it. Yeah. And then and then notice okay, that feeling of loss that you're having inside you is because you attached meaning to that cup. And so the process of meditatio, this was really beautiful. Meditatio, that's what it is. Okay. When you're kissing your child good night, realize that he could die tonight. Yeah. So you recognize we have great control over our meaning, the meaning that we give things. We don't have control over the events, but we actually do have control over our meaning, and we can give well. What's that? Events um, all kinds of crazy meanings that are n- unnecessary, but we can also give them very deep.
1: What's that nursery meanings. rhyme we tell our kids? Uh, now I lay me down to sleep, or pray the Lord my soul to keep, and if I die before I wake, I pray, I pray the, the Lord, Lord my, my soul, soul to take. To take.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, because yeah, we have great control over our meaning. That we apply to things, little over the physics and what happens in actual reality, yeah. and so we have to remember better. We have yeah. to get more into that sauté mode of being.
1: And 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 rom coms are apparently the devil. Now yes. well, I won't I won't put those words in his mouth, but yeah, you know, and, and he's he's right too. So the the point of a romantic comedy is to have this narrative running where you know, oh, it's two people in the same big city, and you know, everything seems yeah. to be pushing but this them together is just to give you. But it doesn't work like that. The world doesn't care. Yeah, it's just supposed it to be doesn't fun. care. It's
0: supposed it's supposed to give yeah. you the feeling of being happy. Yeah. The world didn't put it's you guys a together. Happy yeah. Mood. yeah, but it's not really giving you good advice on, on relationships at all.
1: Because really like at it's... the end of the day, the world happy or sad event, it does not care. It yeah. just does. Yeah, these
0: movies are very idealized.
1: Yeah. So it's the, the Stoics, it's it's not the anxiety of mortality, but fatality. Yes, and, yes. It, as in Fate.
0: Yeah, not our mortality that makes us anxious, but our fatality—the actual fact that we die. Yeah, yeah. Fate is the root of of the word fatality, and and that there is fatality, not fatal.
1: The fate of the world that doesn't care—that's going to continue and churn and
0: do its thing, regardless of what you Mm -hmm. want. Yeah, and this makes sense. Fatal comes from fate. Yeah, fatality comes from fate. Yeah. So we confuse when we confuse. When we're joining things together, fusing things together, the event and meanings that we attach to them, we suffer. And to pull them apart.
1: Well, we are subject to fate. Is Yes, we we're are subject, subject to, to fate. fate. So, yeah.
0: and, and death is the ultimate coming apart. Yeah. It's the ultimate loss of agency. So one way of handling this existential crisis within ourselves is to take a view from from above i don't know where i ever got this but i've been doing this for a long time yeah it's really helpful you zoom helpful. out and you zoom out and you zoom out you imagine yourself zoom out. in your house and then your house on the street and then the street within yeah. the town and yeah the just town recognize the city. reality that i'm in so if i'm personally depressed something really sad is happening in my personal life at that moment or in the in the wider world that's deeply concerning then i'll remember oh that's right we're in the midst of evolution on a living planet, soaring through space. Yeah, you know, in the midst of this infinite vastness that nobody has an explanation for, and what a wonder that it is that we are all here doing this.
1: What's that tool um, song with the lyrics "Spiral out, keep going, spiral out"? Is that parabola? I think that might be par- parabola. I'm but horrible but song That's, that, this, that's but, yeah. that viewing from above. this keep spiraling going, out, going spiral
0: out. out.
1: Getting hard, and, and this viewing from above also allows you to see the machine. So, putting yourself in an ever expanding third person perspective allows you to see then the machinery of your own cognition and how you're, you know, like not just the event, agent event arena, but how you deal with said arena and then how those things work. And then, always, you know, you have these two, th- so it's you and something else, and now it's those two things and you but then you see you again as three things and then back and you can start to see not just the doer doing the thing but why the doer does the thing and yes why does that work and what are the things that make up the thing that the doer is doing that allows them to do the thing it's
0: 46 <laughs> and 2 i think 46 i think it's and the two. one that they did in soul phase 46 ago. and 2 are ahead of Black age. And white are all, I, all see I see in my infancy in my infancy
1: Red, red and yellow and then came to be reaching, reaching out, out to me, me let's me see. see yeah the fibonacci and, ding, and ding, ding. as above so below and beyond i imagine gone beyond the, the lines, lines of reason, of reason. Push, push the envelope, the envelope. Watch, watch it, it bend. bend. <laughs> yeah good song man good if you song. can't tell we're fans It's 12.
0: They were definitely trying to tap into that meaning mode oh, yeah, and help man. share it with people. Still and are, man. Good work, dude. So this expanding
1: up enhances your sense of self and what matters. but like you're gaining more, and also the, looking at the self as the sticky ball that sticks other things and is the primary relationship haver and creator. Um. You can see all the things that are sticking to you and then how it sticks to you and what's, you know, all the different relationships that make up yourself, your relationships with others, as well as this arena that we're in, that is life. Yeah, you know, yeah, just further out and further out. And then you realize you get the small ball effect where you're like, oh, man, we're just like, we're fleas on a flea, but yeah. the fleas on a flea that's on a flea it's yeah, right. on a flea that's yeah. fleeing through space on the back of yeah, ele- on the back of mode. an elephant, three elephants floating through space on a sea turtle. And I
0: turtles think. on top of turtles, on top of turtles all the way down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: all right, so I think we're about I to I love have- that,
0: man. Yeah, that's the overview effect, too, that astronauts get. Also, when you take that step back and you keep taking that step back, and you get that telescopic view of reality as though you're well, looking view from at above, Earth from above. cosmos, view. that overview, yeah. you also get the sense of oneness. You realize, oh that's yeah. right. This is just this one living yeah. planet. I'm an outgrowth of it, as so is everyone else. Well, we're all misidentified thinking we're totally separate beings, but yeah. actually we're independently uh-huh. aware extensions of one thing. Yeah. The cosmos, this planet, it just keeps on fractaling itself out.
1: Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So that's the end of my notes for this part. We're at the midway mark. Yeah. yeah, we
0: are. It's a good time for a break, guys. So if you want to go ahead and Hit the bathroom, grab yourself a drink, pop some corn, do what you got to do. We're going to be back in like 10 minutes-ish.
1: If it's a little bit longer, it's only because I got some chicken and rice and stuff.
0: Yeah, but feel free keep the keep the Zoom running, the stream running, Zoom running, keep the, the stream run. running. and Keep on will, Zooming. We will see you guys in just a moment. We're back. Hey, hey, hey. Got some chicken and rice. Yes, we do. We got some Eats. We're going to grub while we continue to watch this episode. And you guys are welcome to grub down with us. Anything else you want to say before we jump back in or should we just get right back? Uh, Oh, no. I think we're good. All right. I hope you're all here. We're jumping back in now. Let's do this then. John Vervakey's Awakening from the Meaning Crisis. Make sure to like and subscribe if you're enjoying the show. And make sure to look up John Vervakey and drop him some likes and subscribe to him as well. Let's roll.
3: And this takes tremendous practice. The last thing you'll see Marcus Aurelius doing, and even more epictetus, is the practice of actually internalizing Socrates. Like Antisthenes talked about at the very beginning of this whole tradition. It means trying to do with yourself what Socrates had done with you. You can see this again in modern cognitive behavioral practices. You get people to, you, you get people to stop and be Socratic with themselves. So the per- person is depressed. Remember I said when Antisthenes was talking about conversing with himself, he wasn't talking about the way you ruminate. Because when we ruminate, we're running things to our head. Like, everything I do is a failure. The therapist doesn't try and console the person and says, like, well, no, go out and get more success. He doesn't give the American commercial response. Well, go out and succeed more, conquer the world. Good luck with that. Okay? He says, well, she says, everything you do, everything, Was you stating to me that that's a failure, itself a failure? Well, no, not everything. Did you get here successfully today? Well, yes, I did. What about clothing yourself? Oh, yes. So what do you mean by everything? I don't mean everything. What do you mean? Okay. And you realize a lot of this is because I'm letting this go by without having my own internal Socrates that stops me and says, oh wow, you're making such powerful claims. You must know and understand. But you see, you're bullshitting yourself. Because this is very salient to you, but it's way beyond your understanding, because what it's not representing what you actually mean. This may be what you believe, but it can't be what you mean. Everybody, everybody hates me. Everybody? So everybody's out to get you. Well, no, not most people. Which people? Well, this person. They hate you? How do you know they hate you? Well, they said that, Is that enough for hate? You can see Socrates here. Is that what you mean by hate? Tell me what you mean by it. You've got all these things salient in your mind and you're running them round and round and round, but you don't really understand the meaning. And you're bullshitting yourself. Your motivation and your arousal is way ahead of your understanding. And most importantly, because of that, the meaning and the event are confused together. And again, this is not just in your beliefs, this is in your very identity. By doing all of this, you're going to transform your capacity for interacting with the world. You're going to not fall prey to the absurdity, and we're going to come back to absurdity again, right, that's inflicted on you by the fatality of all things. Because if you can discern, and this is one of the key things of wisdom, is discerning, not just in thought, but in perspective and in identity, the difference between the meaning and the events, and properly identify, by meaning properly sensing and calibrating your sense of control, then you will alter your sense of identity. How? And how could this possibly give an answer to the mortality of things? that the Epicureans gave a direct answer to. Well, let's play with that a little bit. A kind of a bit, a bit of a view from above. Let's say I gave you immortality. You got it. What would you do with it? Well, I do all the things I'd like to do. Okay, great. What would you do? Well, you know, I'd have lots of sex and eat lots of chocolate. Okay. How long? Well, probably not very long. I'd get bored. Then what do we do? Well, I'd pursue more meaningful things. Well, what? Like, I've always I've always wanted to learn archery. I'd take up archery. And then I'd get, okay. Then I'd get really good at archery. Great. Then what? Well, really good at basketball. Yeah, and then what? Really good at, uh, hmm. There's a really good story by... Uh, well, it's a chapter in a book, The History of the World in Nine of Chapters by Julian Barnes, where people go to heaven, and what they're doing in heaven is they're, they're given what they think is immortality, and they practice, this is one guy, he practices golf until he's getting a score of 18. Right? And then he's sort of like, okay, what do I do now? What do I do? And then he comes to sort of St. Peter, and he says, like, like what's going on? Like, and he says, what's wrong? Aren't you doing everything you want? I am, but like, I get great at it, I get great, at everything. And, and St. Peter says, well, yeah, so what? He says, well, I, 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 I'm kind of done. And then St. Peter says, ah, now you get the point of heaven. The point of heaven isn't to live out immortality. It is to make you accept death. Now, that's not classic Christian doctrine by any means. It's a great story. And it epitomizes the Stoic idea as long as you are formulating your identity horizontally in terms of a narrative of achieving an unending duration to your life, you're going to fail. But even if I gave it to you, and this is what people need to stop and think about, it would fail. What you want is that moment that that guy in heaven has. Right? You want... Not a length of life, but a fullness, a depth. You want to have lived life as fully as possible. This is why Marcus Aurelius says, you know, everybody dies, but not everybody has lived. People quote that, and they think it's about sort of gusto or something like this, That's not what it's meant. This is the access of fame and fortune, the having mode. There's nothing wrong with it, but this is the axis of self- transcendence, the being mode. What do you identify with? Is your identity here, or do you identify here? And if you identify here and you practice Prochiron and Prosash, you can get this fullness of being remember that's what plato promised you could come to a complete fullness and even if it lasts a moment that's enough because it's not based on duration it's based on quality if i have if i can achieve that in this moment right here right now then i'm done then i'm done So the Stoics have an answer, an answer that, in a somewhat watered-down form, is still very powerfully effective, at least in our therapeutic endeavors, which are becoming more and more central to many people's lives because of the meaning crisis. But a less watered-down version is also existentially pertinent and relevant. We can come to realize that I can exercise much more control over the meaning-making such that I get the one thing that is always good to have, which is wisdom, that can afford me an identity in the depths, an ontological identity, rather than a merely historical identity. And that would be a fulfilled life. And that is actually what I want. I'll speak personally now for a moment. I mean, at a physiological level, of course, I avoid death. Like, I don't step into traffic, and I'm I'm enjoying my life, so I don't mean this in any morbid or depressive way. But I do not want to live forever. Right? I do not want to live forever. I do not think that John Verveke should exist for all time. I think that would be an ontological mistake of astronomical proportions. In some ways, I'm tired of life. I'm tired of the ways in which I've been foolish, the ways in which I've been immoral, let myself and other people down. And I have a strong sense of the inevitability of that. And extending that through all of eternity strikes me as a horrible evil to inflict on reality and some and that one I, myself, do not want to bear. But, have I seen glimpses of this? Yes. I have. And we know from when people have awakening experiences that give them this, that they lose their fear of their mortality, they lose that existential anxiety. And if that's coupled to a fullness of being, that would be a way of responding to not only our mental health issues, but our existential distress about our own individual mortality. So you can see with both the Epicureans and the Stoics that we have things analogous, different, but analogous to the kinds of things we saw at work within Buddhism. And we can see that the West is building up this very powerful tradition in its own right. And one of the great things about Pierre Hadot's work, and I recommend it very strongly to you, like what is ancient philosophy, or philosophy as a way of life, is to remind us that we do not have to look to Asian history, Asian, not ancient, we do not have to look to the East for the psychotechnologies of self-transcendence and self-transformation. We, there's no reason not to, we should, but we should not do that because we believe there is nothing within the Western heritage that offers us a profound response to the quest for meaning, wisdom, self-transcendence, and a response to existential anxiety. We have those things. Now, one of the things that has been happening, and I think it is a good thing, although it is indicative of the increase of the meaning crisis in the West, is there has been a rediscovery of Stoicism, Platonism, etc. Part of what we need to do, and that's what I've been trying to do with you, is integrate that with our current cognitive science so that, once again, we can learn how to, and I mean this in a deeply, spiritually deep way, salvage from our own tradition the psychotechnologies and practices of wisdom and meaning-making that we are going to need, but in a way that we can live within a scientific worldview. So, the Hellenistic period comes to an end with the advent of a return to a world empire, which in very many ways, right, is going to be informed by the Axial Revolution, but in very many ways also represents a return to a pre-Axial world namely a world in which eventually a man can be considered a god because he wields so much power, the Roman emperors. And power and prosperity are the primary ways in which wisdom is understood. But within that empire, all of these philosophies will find home, and eventually, as we noted with Marcus Aurelius, even the emperor himself will be a proponent and an exemplar of the legacy of the Axial Revolution. But something else is also happening with the advent of this empire in the Mediterranean. And we return back now, as I promised we would, to one of the areas in which the Axial Revolution had taken place. And this, of course, is ancient Israel. Because what's happening is, of course, Israel has now been conquered by a sequence of empires. And the most recent, of course, is the Roman Empire. And I want to now speak of a religion that emerges at this time. It's not an axial religion, but it is deeply informed by the axial legacy, particularly the ancient Israel legacy, where the two worlds were understood, if you remember, in terms of moving from the land of slavery to the Promised Land, where the the, the the real world is the future, and God is this open creator. And
0: all right, guys, we're going to break here before we move into ancient Israel and talk on oh Jesus Christos.
2: So,
0: hold on. Mm,
2: I've
1: had, yeah, mm, we just ate, down yeah. chicken and rice. So the excellent the next step, the next practice after. The objectification, then the... What was it?
0: Uh, Internalized in Socrates.
1: Yeah, so we did... Uh, okay. Yep, it it was objective above. seeing, premeditation, then... Um, oh, boy.
0: Yeah. Romantic comedy, view from above.
1: Yeah.
0: Now we get on to... How we can internalize Socrates like Epictetus, mm. was it?
1: Yeah, that... Uh, if I could find it in the notes. That sounds about right. Doesn't matter. Um, the point is,
0: the idea of uh, doing with oneself with what Socrates tried to do with people. Yeah. So being So not to ruminate or think fatalistically, but to observe... Our thinking this is yeah. very similar to buddha's approach
1: and to be able to have that back and forth mm-hmm. practice but within yourself not the back and forth like you suck oh, i know i suck yeah you definitely suck yeah you just failed yeah. at that you know not that and he mentioned you know like a counselor what a counselor wouldn't be like you know, oh, okay, yeah, you suck, and how'd you fail? And you failed like this, and then you failed like that, and failed like that. The counselor's mm-hmm. going to ask, it's like, well, what do you mean? Everybody hates you, you know? Yeah, you believe that everybody hates you, but what do you mean, like everybody? Like yeah, do I don't hate you. I'm pretty sure my secretary doesn't hate you. Well, oh, that person hates me. It's like, so what do you mean, opposed to what you believe? Mm-hmm. Because that...
0: what what we're feeling is super salient to mm-hmm. us, and we're trying to describe. The impact of something with that exaggeration mm-hmm. that we're using, yeah. so we can recognize that happening within ourselves. That w- what we're saying, we might believe it emotionally, but we also can tell that that's not what we really mean when we yeah. say every day I do is a failure, or everyone hates me. Yeah, you don't really mean everything. And going really through that everyone.
1: process helps break that event. Um, event meaning fusion mm-hmm. that, that happens. confusion, yeah. yeah that confusion that has happened the the that
0: mistaken fusing
1: that we can do confusion it's, it's like con as in bad and it's a bad fusion mm-hmm. they are the fused in a way
0: but against yeah yeah so i like that and if we can discern yeah so if we can discern our thinking and we can recognize the perspective, not just even our thinking, but our perspective that we're taking and the identity that we're forming from that mm-hmm. relation that we're making in our mind between the meaning and the events that are happening, we can properly calibrate our capacity yeah. to have a greater sense of self and control mm-hmm. and actual control in our environment. And, and
1: preventing the, uh, the bullshit, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, and yeah. it's this yeah. and, and it's the most insidious of bullshit it's the self-bullshit it's, mm, it's the bullshit you tell yourself yep. yeah because yeah. ultimately some somebody can deceive you and deceive you and deceive you but they can only control you so far right it's once you deceive yourself is every time you do that it gets harder and harder and harder to get out of the self-deception it's yeah. so the reverse practice true? Right It's like you know Practicing mm-hmm. the guitar wrong The reason why Your piano teacher Or your guitar teacher Or whatever Is all about form And doing that Is if you practice it wrong Then you'll never be able To truly You're do very what rigid
0: you rigid And stuck in that way And you hurt yeah. yourself too Like particularly You're Like on guitar Practicing that way It's going to be mm-hmm. really hard To yeah. break that apart You get yeah. carpal tunnel And all other yeah. kinds Of crazy stuff So what's stuff. happening Is that we're identifying And he described it With just a simple You know Horizontal line And a perpendicular Vertical line mm that it's not the length but it's not the length of our life but it's not but it's the depth mm-hmm. and the fullness of our life and so on this line of having mode we have things like fame fortune that give us some sense of enjoyment i guess but n- no deep lasting meaning no solution to the inner turmoil and inner crisis Mm -hmm. and suffering and anxiety and depression and self-loathing and and all that. Like he
1: said, a terrible thing to inflict on the universe is somebody who's got life fatigue and just doesn't...
0: Yeah, because we're going to make mistakes. We're going to screw up. And you want to condemn the universe to that for forever? Because, you know, we're an imperfect species. Oh, and also, we're learning how to be better. We're, we're, but we're in the midst of this story. We're in the midst of the process. Well no
1: star is forever either. So mm-hmm. you know, no, nothing is forever and it probably shouldn't. Right. Like if right. I was an omnipresent, omnipotent D&D, i D, I'd
0: I'd Yeah. Besides the space that. that makes it all possible, which does seem and to be And even that's debatable. <laughs> I mean, well even that, yeah, but what, what could pre exist though? Yeah, how could right? something even pre exist if it's without time? What's so it? there's something that's omnipresent. What sits outside of Or there's of an that? omnipresent nature or essence to this universe, because okay. there had to be something that was before, so to speak, the Big Bang.
1: I think it's going to be a case of the further we look, the more we find, and the real and realizing the more like we can, the further we can look. Now I know technically science nerds out here don't yell at me. I know technically there's only so far that you can look because once things get far enough away the light has red shifted so much that we don't have any device that can pick up that mm. light mm. that signal it's wow. such a long too far. drawn out yeah because like as light's going it it's being stretched out as mm. it's being put out because if it's moving away from you mm. um actually and also the other end is like there's stuff that's so far away that the universe isn't old enough for the light
0: to have gotten here yet that too yeah
1: but I think the more we look at, and this is you know well, like we what we do within more. our mind, the the, the, the more and we look larger up. larger stars look out. than we
0: expect at distances that...
1: yeah. And so... then once you get to the I think once we get to a point in within our own consciousness and also observe the universe, then you'll be able to see the universe in a grain of sand. You'll be able to see the actual the, the biggest thing the biggest things in the universe look exactly like the smallest things in the universe. Hmm. So I think once you get sub subbotonic subquark, sub all that stuff it ends up looking like once you get beyond galactic clusters and uh, even beyond the images that we have of the universe that we've made on supercomputers and stuff I think the quantum foam and the universe at its largest scale are probably the same thing Hmm. You you know there's also a limit to how small we can look and actually how small we can measure at all and conceive of it's the plank length and then there's a max of how big that we can see. It's and that's just as far as we can conceive. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. And what, what tools do we have? Psychotechnologies are tools. They're the techniques
0: of using psycho tools. Yes. And we're looking for practices that help us be on that perpendicular line, yeah. that well, transcendent, that being mode.
1: Well, once you get to the limit of how far you can see, how much you can hear, how much you can smell, taste, and feel, how do you sense further into the universe and into the world? Hmm. You do it with your mind, with yourself, with your understanding. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you stand under it, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. Quite naturally. Yeah. Now, what I realized while I was watching this is that we're, we're learning about, um, what was it, Prokosh and chiron? Yeah. And the, these, this is an inward and outward practice. Mm-hmm. So this is just like the inward and outward middle way that Buddha discovered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not too tight, not too tight, not too loose. It's the way that's suggested to us in the symbol of the yin yang that doesn't just tell us the underlying or show express the underlying nature of reality, the interrelation interrelated opposites that make the whole possible, but also how one may live and be in congruence. What mm-hmm. a beautiful that. metaphor the yin yang is. Powerful, man, it's deep.
1: Yeah, well, it's uh, yeah, and
0: that's a very generalizing summary of it too. You know, you it, can it, go on that. It, it really fits pages. the
1: uh, the the probability, um, our probability maker. You know, it has a lot of people that can observe the duality between things that are intermixed, but then it's also apply, applicable broadly mm-hmm. to life, to the it's seasons immediately of the world. You to, like the symbol, and you
0: recognize it's true. Yeah, the, the yeah. white has a little bit of black. The black you know. has a little bit of white. You know, you know, yeah. hot temperature is not possible without there being cold temperature. The bitterness of life is what makes the sweet times sweeter. Yeah.
1: And we're able to make a metaphor for it that's instantly
0: recognizable. Yeah, in a way that's nonverbal or the power just... of our psychotechnology that is language. Yeah, yeah, and thinking in language, and we which st- really ratches up our cognitive capacity. And we
1: still, I I think we think more symbol symbolically. Um, than we do necessarily with words because you know like you see the mcdonald's m on the side of the the road you don't read mcdonald's you see the m same thing with the taco bell's bell same thing with stuff like that so it's like these concepts that's like sigil you know sigil magic works on the hacking of the brain's ability to see something and then imprint upon that recognizable something
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. you know it's great for advertising
0: yeah that kind of meta memory mm-hmm. that we utilize yeah and so we can realize that we can have more control over our sense of meaning that we're applying to things in reality mm-hmm. and to our thoughts and our even our perspectives we can look upon our own perspectives non judgmentally just mm-hmm. just to see them as they are to understand them and in the seeing there is a clarity i i love this idea that we have control over this. We can develop wisdom. Having modus and coin to give us the lasting <laughs> meaning and fulfillment that we seek. It will never quite fill that void. The, hmm. the Cheetos, the Mountain Dew, the watching TV mindlessly or scrolling mindlessly, more than just for like enjoyment. Now we're looking for almost like addictive addicted
1: well it's 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 become addicted co- it's fashion like inter- com- just
0: entertainment just entertain me it's become Distract a me. compulsion yeah we're
1: we're, we're compelled to do yeah. it by something mm-hmm. that seems to be outside
0: of our own agency yeah we built up a um, habit of being in the being mode and right. trying to fulfill this the being mode needs such as meaning and fulfillment in life with having yeah. but no matter how much soda you drink you're not going to get lasting contentment with life you're not going to find peace you know you're you might have some fun mouth sensations you know you might have some enjoyment or you might have some taste bud stimulation I could say but you're not getting true enjoyment the installation of well, you're the not, celebration of what is good in life which yeah, is what joy yeah, really yeah. is enjoyment you're not in joy. Yeah, you remember not those moments good. when you were a kid and maybe they still happen to you but rarely where you get so happy for no reason that you just want to jump up and dance and like you know get the sense of celebration some that somehow comes over you, just a really deep inner joy. You remember that feeling?
1: Yeah, I don't uh I don't I don't really get that feeling much anymore. Um I do in a certain way, but it's it's a lot deeper than just the pure innocent It's softer joy, more subtle yippee. as you get older, but that have also I think we
0: can tap back into it though, to where it's really sure. a well, I definitely, as it was. I,
1: I don't, I I think the reason why I don't feel it so much anymore is because I've practiced not allowing myself to get too far into any one emotion because I am extremely emotionally driven.
0: Well, notice um, what it is that's getting into the emotion because yeah. you can even be aware yeah. of your physiology yeah. and your psychology yeah. and your emotional states from a non-emotional deta- state that is just, it's not emotional, but it's like, it's loving like a wise elder yeah. is... Well, you I know, think a good way to get back into it that. understands and it just accepts. It's like a camera recording, but it's a very wise camera.
1: Well, <laughs> I, I think a good practice would be to go do something that has no expectation. So like, you know, you could go on a walk somewhere and like, you know, you know the path and everything, oh, yeah, but your yeah. your your expectation isn't like the end goal or anything. It's, you know, the expectation you'll get excited for something, but then if it doesn't happen, no, it's just to enjoy that. being. But in that's that well, when you're a little moment. kid, you get that feeling you're just like, I don't know why. Like the sun's out and the clouds are, you know, extra cool looking, and it's a really cool feeling day, and the smell of sweet grass on the wind, and it's just like, yeah, all right. And I think that comes from having no expectations of anything. Like in the summertime, you may be like, well, I'm gonna do this, this, and this, and that, but when you get to doing it, you're just most of the time you just go off on tangents you're expecting to do something else and you're just like yeah you know the best things are mm. the random stuff so like you know go for that walk not expecting anything from it you know go out to the social gathering place whether it's you know a bar tea house a knitting circle a you know or whatever but without the expectations maybe like oh i'm gonna go out there and i have to do this or i only have this much time or um, Put the pressure on or yourself. I, I, I'm going out so I can see this person mm-hmm. or hang out with these people. You know, I have a lot of fun. Like when I go out, that's what I do. I have no expectations, and sometimes I have a really good time. Other times, I get people that you know try to publicly shame me. But guess what? I know I hit the disgust. You know things. I'm disgusted with myself. You cannot shame the shame. Thank you very <laughs> much. You cannot shame the shame. Yeah, you know, I, I am dirt. People, I am what I am last week i didn't have time to like yeah it's basically get off work and come right into the door so i was just covered in paint and like yeah Yeah, but you
0: don't even have to be shamed either you can notice the shame is occurring within yourself and what is it that notices it and is it shamed the part of you that is aware of shame coming up in the body that arising of shame within the body something is aware of it was, how, how does that thing I was, feel like I this was, is self-inquiry so shamed, you really inquire into yeah, this yeah
1: i was shamed yeah. a lot as a kid too so it was just like it gets to the point where it's yeah. like you know i'm kind of lazy and i don't want to be feeling this anymore so you guys can think what you want mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what gets me is if i do something that breaches my moral code mm, yeah. that like and even just the small things of like you know And, you know, like uh, losing my social graces because I'm frustrated and out of time and, you know, say something a little too short and cut with somebody, you know, that, Mm -hmm. you know, my moral standing is, you know, hold yourself to a higher standard than you're going to hold anybody else to. And if, you know, one of those things is communicating as well as possible and not putting your own crap on somebody else. So, you know, one of the things, you know, I'll feel guilty by is putting my crap on other people. Like, you know, having a reaction, just being like, you know, what? it's like, nah, but I don't feel shame for it. If mm-hmm. I'm going to feel shame for anything, it'd probably be the, you know, like I wear a kilts a lot. So if I accidentally flash, flash my balls to like,
0: that's where shame know. is appropriate. Yeah, yeah because, you're not, you are not, you know, is. that's
1: from the inside. You're not supposed to be seeing my balls. Now, mind you, if we're at a nudist beach and you see my balls, that's it's just what it is. But you know, you feel no shame at the nobody shames you at the new to speech more than you shame yourself, so you might as well get over it. Ah, if you've yeah. ever been to one, it's not a bunch of beautiful people running around. It's all types of lumpy potato human forms. A naked body is a weird looking thing. We if you are want lumpy. to go if you want to do the objective uh look at things where this weird central lump with different lumps that have sub lumps on it that sub lumps that, on lumps turtles. Yeah. All then the we way got down. this lumpy thing that's lumped onto our, you know, onto our, you know, shoulders and moving around. And <clears throat> we're funny creatures. We're, we're an efficient machine, but we're just lumpy. Uh, okay, so in Star Star War or Star Trek, the original series, uh, there was these like. um yeah, it was whatever species that doesn't have a corporeal form that refers to uh, the crew as uh, ugly bags of water, ugly bags of water, <laughs> you know, it's just like you, ugly bags of water, you know, it's just like, that's a really good objective way of looking at it. We're, uh, well, ugly yeah. bags of water. Meat puppet. Yeah, meat puppet.
0: That one's not as pretty.
1: Right it done. doesn't have to be Gross. I, I, think that one, I think that one. I think that one has kind of. more notes of like you being controlled by somebody else, but still, you know, True. like like you would call a uh...
0: or something that you inhabit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that a life force inhabits a meat vessel. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I I I prefer spiritually cybernetic organism. But yeah, that
0: see, that's funny. We're attaching meaning to the uh, the idea. So or like yeah, well, that's so the, like meat.
1: that's a puppet. The meat it's is the thing. That the we puppet have is, thoughts is the thoughts about. We associated
0: yeah. with eating or a ground up flesh of an animal, and so meat puppet sounds pretty gross or a little bit disturbing when you hear that term. But it is an actual kind of accurate representation of what we are. I mean, we got skeleton and organs, and other other things um, besides meat.
1: So you know the difference between a puppet. It's the and, meaning that we attach that.
0: And a marionette. Is and what I see us as is like trees and earth. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off, but like trees and earth and starlight from whence we came and all of this and so it's we're just a very unique outgrowth of a living planet whatever a planet is whatever star is whatever well without living the meaning is. i see us as fleshy meat puppets that ju- that are just vessels for our
1: dna to um continue itself but the meaning aspect of it being able to separate yeah. that and not be nihilistic and be like oh it's just yeah. the genes it's like well the meaning behind it is life is such a wonderful experience and thing That everything that is living seems to try to gear itself perfectly to live. Hmm. And now we're... Emergence seeks to emerge no matter what. Yeah, and we're at the state now where we're meta-emerging and emerging on top of emergences. Yeah, and emergence
0: is a law of the universe that we don't understand how it happens or why it happens, why it Hmm. exists at all. But it's very beautiful. Hmm. It's described as elegant.
1: Yes, which is powerful you know two people power. make something new
0: yeah. stars mm-hmm. of course explode and create new atoms those atoms coalesce into planets turn into living animate beings groups even of people come together yeah. and create stories and earthlings, wisdom traditions Planet, planetlings wisdom traditions yeah
1: earthlings yeah. are good at planet planning it or earthlings planet yeah, you know, <laughs> plan it. I,
0: don't know. I don't know I don't know if the earthlings planned it but earth is doing it cosmos is doing well, it well we
1: make plans on it you know We're like okay I plan the reduce- whole
0: thing is like no matter how much we reduce it it's still like i don't know what better word than miracle that we exist at all that there even is a universe and that it became parts of it at least became self reflective
1: yeah because you could always keep reducing self-aware. down
0: and reducing down and reducing down and
1: it still doesn't answer the question of like you know the why Why? yeah (laughs) yeah
0: and that why is always like pushed aside
1: okay well
2: if you
0: don't want to deal with the why then let's keep on working on the how but notice that with all of our technological capacity we still have not gotten to the end of the how Mm -hmm. there's a lot of how that's unexplained
1: i think like probably with what john is trying to do and other people involved in this through the looking at how like the machinery does it will if we do it right help us with gaining a little bit of meaning on the why too um because like we've been working with you know we get to create the why we've got already written in these traditions that are helping us understand the whys of things to a certain point but now we have super advanced technology that can see how the brain responds and then see reactions and actually like Look Mm -hmm. at what it looks like when you see something that disgusts you or something that gives you fear or something that that weird emotion you don't really have a word for that is induced by the smell of snickerdoodles. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. you'll be able to see it and then map it and then see the pattern Mm -hmm. of what's going on. So Mm -hmm. this is a really interesting age to be alive in, frankly, because we're combining the how and the why and
0: they're now starting to, if we do it right, self-enhance. yeah. Yeah, because yeah. even if we don't think the why is there, universe is important. Why is there a why? Yeah. Well, because why? Why is there a why? now? Because there's
1: something that must be the
0: cause. of uh, Well, I'm so. sure there's like some nice hows as to yeah. there being a why, but I want to know why the why. Yeah. Why well, can't we question? Why? Why are we self-aware? Yeah. And it's, if it's just the consequence of cause and effect, what begin that? If time and space were supposed to have exploded out. Mm. from some impossible, infinitesimal source. what What is that source?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: How is this miracle possible? And why? I don't know. I guess the why is what we do get to partake in. Uh, that's the co-creative aspect mm-hmm. of it. Because we do notice that the thing does have cause and effect play into it. But it also has this deep sense of meaning-making potential. And that's really... That's really interesting. That's very exciting. Yeah. So I guess um let's catch ourselves up here because we're getting on. Uh yeah but, uh, pr- yeah, let's get back to our notes here. Pretty much
1: is like, you know, g- give the credit uh, give the west.
0: It's 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 credit, you know, we don't have to just go to the east. The west does have its own tradition. And it's going to be more comprehensible because it's in our cultural language, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean don't go to the east. Yeah, it just also take from the east what is useful for you and comprehensive don't throw
1: one out for the you know yeah, for you don't have to do you know, another yeah. neither
0: an or kind of process here and we do have a very rich history of not just inner practice but outer practices and the marrying of those two here in the west as well which we're recognizing now so we are looking for awakening experiences in life because they allow us to lose the fear of our of our mortality and our association our with fatality yeah our existential fatalism that we can develop so this fullness of being helps us grow beyond our existential issues and our distress over more yeah we said that Uh, rediscover the rediscovery of stoicism platonism and so forth here in the west is definitely helping us hedge the meaning crisis but we don't like you said have to just look for one or another tradition we can dive deep yeah yeah though here in the West as well. So we may salvage the meaning-making processes, wisdom, and align them with the, the science of reason and rationality that we have mm-hmm. developed as well. And now we return to the, the uh, axial age... We are uh, so, or at least the after the the reverberations of the axial age in Israel
1: after the Hellenistic period, Mm -hmm. the the West reverted to a pre axial pre axial. There you go. So yeah, this this new religion that has come around is not an axial. Axial is the revolution part. Yeah, Yeah, it's the pre axial. Mm -hmm. So uh, kind of cosmos association that we had. Yeah. Yeah. So where you know men could become kings, Mm -hmm. or and kings could become gods, Mm -hmm. and you know. yeah. Or yeah, or um, a
0: human could actually be an incarnation of God. Yeah, which yeah.
1: that sets us up
0: for the Jesus, the yes. Jesus, the Jesus. All right, guys, let's jump back Jesus. into it.
3: The two worlds were understood, if you remember, in terms of moving from the land of slavery to the promised land, where the the the, the real world is the future, and God is this open creator, and we are trying to sense the Ah. Af- have faith in participatory knowing of involvement in the course of history and sometimes we're distorted in that and we trespass we fall off course and we have to re-get, we have to be redeemed we have to be brought back on course by prophets who speak god's attempt to get us back on track with making the future this whole idea of co-creating with god the open future such that we can bring about a promised land for human beings. Now, there is a a person, a Jewish person, who is born into that tradition and uh, is responsible in ways that are very hard to determine historically for a radical transformation. And, of course, this is Jesus of Nazareth. And probably the most pretentious thing I'm going to do is trying to speak about Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, literally, many millions of people believe he was God. Not metaphorically, not symbolically, but literally, metaphysically. I am respectful of this fact. I don't agree with it, at least in very standard interpretations. My endeavor is to not try and give some final, complete version of this. That would be hubris and arrogance on my part. My endeavor is to try and explain what Jesus, via Christianity, did to that Israelite axial legacy. Because that is what is relevant to what we are discussing here and now. The battles The interminable, and I think ultimately undecidable battles, even though many people claim to have reached the final conclusion about who Jesus was, and what Jesus did, are not something I'm going to try and resolve here. We're even going to see, when we take a look at the Gnostics, that there is, right from the beginning, multiple competing interpretations, and how that has had deep historical influence. So, if you remember, We used a Greek term from Paul Tillich, because the New Testament, the part of the Bible that talks about Jesus and the advent of Christianity, was actually written in Greek. So, Tillich, the same Paul Tillich who wrote The Courage to Be, talked about kairos, about that perspectival participatory knowing, knowing the fullness of time, knowing exactly the right time. So, some Right, that are going to, the, the right timing to shift the course of events. What Pascal, when we come to Pascal, we'll talk about is the spirit of finesse. The right, you know, there's, you're not yet in a romantic relationship with Susan, and you kiss her. And if it, is it the right time? If you get the timing right, if the kairos is right, then the course of your relationship is altered, transformed. And your identity and her identity are changed. Now, the the Israelite conception was for for the whole nation, and God would intervene kairotically at moments in history. Christianity is going to propose this radical idea that God's creative Logos, the word he speaks through the prophets, that it's the same word by which he speaks things into existence, the the word that helps create history, the word that causes Kairos, makes kairos possible for us. So, logos doesn't mean just spoken words. It means, like, the intelligibility, the formative principle, the underlying structure. C- Christianity, it's in the Gospel of John, Anarchae and Logos, in the beginning was the Logos. A passage actually probably lifted from Stoicism. But what is John appropriating it to say? He's saying that God's capacity for producing kairos through logos has been identified, or to use an older term, incarnated in a particular individual. That Jesus of Nazareth is actually the ultimate kairos. That all the other kairoses, we're pointing to him and are summed up in him. That he represents the ultimate turning point. And he represents it not only historically, he represents it personally. Because he is a person, you can identify with him, and that kairos can come to take place in you personally. Just like Socrates personalizes the Axial Revolution and brings it into a direct personal confrontation, the encounter with Jesus means that you too can experience a profoundly personal kairos, which Jesus seems to have spoken about using a metaphor of being born again, about such a radical metanoia, a radical shifting, this is often translated as conversion, until you read about that, right? But th- this word is much closer to awakening. Noya means noticing. This is your perspectival awareness, and meta means a, a be- beyond. This means a radical transformation in your salience landscape, a radical transformation of, right, what it's like to be you. It's this deeply perspectival and participatory transformation. And Jesus is saying he incarnates the principle by which you can intervene in your own personal history, or by which maybe you want to say intervention can occur in your own personal history, such that this metanoia, you will have a new mind, a new heart, a new modal existence. You will be born again. What? What's going on there? What was... what does this kairos look like? What could possibly so radically transform my salience landscape, my sense of self, my processes of co-identification? What could bring that about? And now I'm going to say the word, and then you're going to laugh, because it sounds like a hallmark card. The Christian answer is "love," and now we all titter. Ha, ha ha! That's so quaint. Ha <laughs> love." Sounds like, oh love. OK. The problem with that, as you've seen many times, is that this word is trivialized for us. We use one word to talk about so many different things, like, "I love peanut butter cookies." "I love Canada. I love Sarah. I love my son." I love a really good, right, game of tennis. Are those the same? We're we're even confused about this. We think that love is an emotion. No, it's not. Love is a modal way of being. Love isn't a feeling, and it is not an emotion. How do I know this? Because loving someone can be expressed by being sad when they're absent, being happy, when they're present, being jealous, when there's somebody else around, being angry, when they're neglecting you. Love isn't a feeling. It isn't an emotion. It is a modal way of being. It is an agent arena relationship. And what Jesus seemed to be incarnating as a kairos, to change the history of the world and to offer you to change your own personal history is a different kind of love. This is agape. We have to distinguish between three kinds of love, eros, philia, and agape. See, eros is the love that seeks to be one with something, and that can be spiritual, like being one with nature, or it can be being one with a cookie, by eating it. Of course, we come to think of eros erotically, right? Being one with somebody, by having sex with them. Right? But remember, Socrates knew ta erotica, which wasn't just sex. Socrates knew what to care about. This is philia. So this is the love that is satisfied through consummation. Philea, this is the love that seeks cooperation. This is the love in which we experience reciprocity. We love the cookie because we can consume it. We love our friends because we are in reciprocity with them. What kind of love is this? And this is what Jesus claimed was how God loved individuals. This is the love that a parent has for a child. This is not the love of consummation. You're not trying to consume the child. That's evil. And it's not friendship. You're not fr- like when you bring a child home from the hospital. And I've done this twice, right? That, that's not your friend. It's not even a person. You can't. It's, it's like it's basically a slug. But here's the astonishing thing. You you love it not because of any way you can consume it or be one with it. You 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 don't love it because hey what a, you know great friendship. You love it, and we right you love it because by loving it you turn a non-person into a person. It's the closest thing to a miracle, and that sounds hackneyed. I know, but. Stop that and think about this. you depend on agape it's because people loved you before you were a person that you have become the person you are. Love turns non-person animals into moral agent persons. It's like 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 it's like somehow if I could just care about right my sofa enough, it would turn into a Ferrari or something. It's that powerful. And here's what Jesus was offering. That love is, can be made, it can be exacted and made available for all. Here's what is on offer. Here's why Christianity will take the Roman Empire culturally. With agape, Christianity can say to all of the non-persons of the Roman Empire, all the women, all the children, all the non-male citizens, all the sick, all the poor, all the widowed can take all of those non-persons and say, we will turn you into persons. Persons that belong to the kingdom of God. We'll take another look at this in more detail next time. Thank you very much for your time and attention.
2: Yeah. Meow, meow, meow,
0: meow, 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 yeah. meow, meow, ruff, rough, rough, meow, rough, 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 meow, meow, meow,
1: meow, see, I'll grab the tuna, meow, see, meow.
0: meow, see? meow.
1: So we uh, talked about, uh, kairos which kairos is <clears throat> the properly timed event or thing um so in musical terms it's like a fullness I, I, of potential
0: right and
1: at the right time so yeah, in musical yeah. terms it would be like you're building 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 up to this thing and at just the right time you make the turn you either get quiet you get louder or you switch you know switch to another uh, chord right the logos
0: yeah it's a moment that's pregnant with potential
1: mm -hmm. and so the logos the the called the word
0: god's creative logos Mm -hmm. the word that he speaks in order to prompt and not just through prophets but also to make existence come forth is what creates kairos
1: yeah and so not just voice in the sense of like the words but like the deeper meaning the the rules and layerings below it. so like The,
0: intelligib- it, it, the underlying structure and intelligibility behind language. In musical language. sense,
1: this would be your music theory. Hmm. You know the theory, and then you're able to enact the Kairos at the right periods of time mm-hmm. to make miracles mm-hmm. happen.
0: Mm-hmm. And this is even, Logos is also even deeper than the musical notes. It's the underlying yeah, no, structure of reality that makes yes, notes and music yes. possible and language yep. possible. So in, in the beginning was the Word, God's capacity for producing kairos mm-hmm. that this like flux of reality of existence this pure potential energy you could think and he produces kairos through this and now he's producing kairos through logos that has been incarnated into a person
2: mm-hmm.
0: so the ultimate potential also becomes the ultimate turning point as a person. Yes. It, it's now coming through a human being. And
1: this person is the ultimate Kairos. There's been or Kairos. There's been many Kairoses before, but this is the ultimate Kairos. Kairos.
0: Yes. Yes, this is ingenious. For a guy that as Verbeke that doesn't seem to believe in God in the traditional sense um or that Christ was perhaps incarnated in at least the trad- traditional uh, interpretation, he spoke on this in such a powerful and beautiful way, how we can experience being born again. And people do indeed experience this through Christianity, this metanoia, which is awakening in- to our noticing, basically like meta being beyond noia, noticing so even beyond noticing down there into the deep logos, it can radically transform us. And it's Jesus is bringing this out for the people. You too can experience Kairos yeah, and, through this way that I am sharing. And,
1: and when it's said, you know, uh, you know, when Christians say, you know, accept Jesus into your heart and you'll know you'll whatever, no experience the divine kingdom of heaven and all that stuff. It's, it's more than just those words. It's, you're not accepting this, you know, okay. Like Jesus was a guy, right. You know, yeah, but you're not also just supposed God. to believe it's, this. It's, you're
0: supposed to be faithful and that you're dutiful yeah. to this ideal that he presents this potential. Yeah.
1: And, you know, this way, if mm-hmm. you will. Um, and you can do it too. You can be your ultimate Kairos. You can be the ultimate agent of change within your life Mm -hmm. just like he was the ultimate the story of the ultimate agent of change at the right period of time 2000 it's like he gave this ultimate
0: sacrifice for us to be able to actuate this potential yeah it's a deep story man when when you start to see it through well
1: and it's it's empowering in the the truest sense of the word not like the way we use it but Mm -hmm. it, it literally empowers the meekest among us yeah and gives everybody equal access to this agent arena relationship Mm -hmm.
0: and to this agape love that isn't just for one's own yeah like children but is or you know family person Um,
1: but extended the same love you have for your child but extended out extended out to
0: to everyone else yeah not a
1: not a consumptive love
0: it's a love that turns non-persons into a person yeah yeah you know like a child that helps it grow into a, a mature responsible human being Best case scenario, love creates moral agents, yeah. and this love can be available to all. And I love the idea that all non persons can be people. That includes the widows, yeah. that includes the orphans, that includes the poor, the poor is as important, the, as the homeless emperor. that
1: you don't notice Ooh. on the street no more.
0: This was revolutionary.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. There's a reason why they nailed him to oh a my piece God, of wood. Dude um you know it's what he say shut him up when was that bill hicks (laughs) what he say shut him up uh yeah oh yeah and you know i I like verveke's approach to explaining it to it wasn't the mystical metaphysical end of it it was the core root of what was this story getting at and what was this individual getting at you know because even if jesus never even historically existed still this message of being being your own ultimate kairos and conduit of the logos of God moving through you, mm-hmm. that's that's the important message. So to be born again isn't this, oh, I accepted Jesus and I'm fine now. No, being born again is I'm accepting this way. I'm growing. I'm becoming a true person as yes. opposed
0: to just a mask it, or opposed to just the persona, yeah, yeah, more than just a persona, yeah. but an actual yeah. moral agent, yeah. an an awakening moral agent that is radically transformed because it's seen through the orientation of agape, love. Now, because we have eros, the love of being one with something, the we associate this with erotica, yeah. but it could be also with really being into a process, a practice, a sport music being into uh, consuming it, something the I think. group
1: i think i think like you know and
0: then the philia is the consumption the consummation cooperation reciprocal well, well no 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 I'm sorry consummation no, cooperation that would be that would reciprocity. be ar- ar- that's aros, aros
1: that would be the bringing something into
0: you no 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 that's philia
1: no philia is the friendship like is
0: friendship which is consummation cooperation and reciprocity Yes, definitely. Trust. Like, Look back on okay. that. The, the eros is definitely to be one with something like a cookie, erotica, a moment. Um, agape is the love that you can have unconditionally for a child and for others as well. In fact, this is, and I love that he helps us understand that love is not an emotion. You can feel sad when you love somebody and you've lost them, mm-hmm. or they're going through pain. You can be jealous you can be envious you can be all these things love has many emotions that can occur within but love itself is an orientation it's a modal way of being it's not a feeling we are constantly approaching love with happy mode and so we're thinking of it as a feeling that we want to have but it's really an orientation it's a way of approaching life uh, and so it's it's sad and it's unfortunate that love is trivialized but hopefully we can help Reinform our understanding of that word by the practice of agape of this orientation this unconditionality to life and remember to use that for yourselves you know be unconditional to yourself Mm -hmm. too like don't judge yourself so heavily recognize when you've done something that you know isn't living up to your highest vision of potential being but you know don't beat yourself up for it mercilessly just recognize and grow on love yourself like a wise elder caring for a helpless child
1: yeah because you know like why would you love the child like you said they're just little slugs oh but out of that little slug you can make a person yeah and we and we do that too you know you'll have like mentorships and you know older wiser men taking a like into young chap that's got some potential and then trying to
0: What's the deepest make sense a better of meaning? person out of them. Yeah. You know, that's deepest sense of meaning and fulfillment a human can experience. Oh. Is agape. Oh. Yeah, that—that's why, you know, someone that was a great ball player can go on and become a coach and get more fulfillment from being a coach yeah. than even if he went pro and he won the World Series yeah. and all these things. It's like literally, he gets more out of seeing it through somebody else accomplish it that he's helped do yeah. that. So he's living through them, but not even vicariously. He's like reveling and. And someone else's joy yeah and that's actually how we're tuned to survive long term as a super social species we really love to see each other succeed and do amazing things that's why those humans are awesome videos blew mm-hmm. up you know some years ago and it's like showing people like surfing waves and doing crazy dances and flips and all kinds of awesome things that humans can do we celebrate it, even when it's a stranger. Yeah. I like that. I dig that, too.
2: So yeah, yeah, I
1: think it's about that
0: time. I'm turning into a pumpkin. That was a good episode, guys. Thank yeah. you for joining us on this one. And look forward to next episode, because now we get deep into Christianity and agape.
1: Yeah, and not, not in the metaphysical way or the just accept it and you'll be fine kind of way either. Mm-hmm. I, I am no, a Christian this... myself, and I, but I got a problem with that whole, like, yeah. just accept them into your heart. But I'm like, you're not getting anywhere with that. Just telling them to step outside of the box doesn't tell them what to do outside the box. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Know? It's
0: like, yeah, man, come on now. Yeah, so this isn't to condemn cr- Christianity. It's not no, even to no. sell it either. Yeah, it's actually it's, to appreciate what the was, genius of humans as yeah. as we figured. Things, like the genius of humans. What were the lessons what we've developed together in our different cultures? And unfortunately, you know, institutions take over these things. They become institutionalized. They often lose that original juice, you know, mm-hmm. and they become stale. Sometimes stagnant. Sometimes even dangerous. Well, misrepresentations of an original ideal and we see this has happened with many different religions a, even buddhism a, a, has a, had sects that have gone mm-hmm. wild and violent yeah it, well, it happens all over the world a,
1: a church is only as good as its congregation mm-hmm. so a religion or a practice or a church or a philosophy is only as good as those who practice within it get together and convene and make it you know and if we get you know i think my biggest gripe with modern protestant christianity is it's become very personally lazy? Like it feels good to go there and you know hear the rock music and do all that stuff, but how is that? Story? How how involved are you with the community at your church in a way that's more than just you know? Oh well, we're doing the potluck and then we're doing this other thing. We're doing this other thing. Like how much meaning making are you making with each other? How much are you help creating? better people out of each yeah, other or how much do you shine away from out of discomfort. And so if you like go like way back in, you know, the dark ages of Christianity where the church was, you know, the dominant ruling force and super, super corrupt. Well, how to get that way, corrupt people, individuals, corrupt people allowed it to be that way. And, and people who refused to
0: speak out, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, yeah, all these religions have their cultural baggaging. We can yeah. look at it that way. Hey,
1: man, we're, we are not—we are nothing but travelers. And some some travelers pack lighter than others, but we all got our own baggage we got to pick up at the end of the day. So
2: yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, well, yeah, we
0: really do. Yeah. We have very high expectations for humanity, which is a good thing. Good, yes, but yes. we shouldn't hold ourselves accountable for what we should be at the very end of our evolution, like some perfect angel ideal. Yeah, we, we,
1: I, we shouldn't in mass We're in the midst of the story. Or... The
0: fact that we're here already, yeah. where we're at, is actually really good. And I, I tried to express that last episode. And I, I hope these these ideas get through. I hope that they make sense mm-hmm. to people, you know, because you see a lot of shaming going on in the world today. And it's a lot of judgment, and it's really heavy, and it's very overgeneralizing and superficial typically too it's yeah, always looking yeah. at superficial distinctions and it usually harms the people that are dishing it out more than it harms the people oh, who absolutely man, it, man people are know. miserable that are in that mind state uh, it's sad you know and could, i you know, i've been there you know we can all get there uh, we, we are always not always but we are quite consistently constantly othering one another in this world and it's doing nobody any good yeah, so instead of being like, "Oh,
1: they're the others in another group," it's like, "Oh no, they're the others of our of this one big group. The others of the group, you know, right? You know,
2: yeah." Opposed to yeah. additional the other. yeah, additional so opposed are to yeah, you know, some yeah. Are, you
0: different know. and worth worthy of apprehension and fear and or aggression and anger and stereotyping and this and that. Yeah. We're trying to understand our environments as well as we can Mm. so we do have that process of generalizing that our mind does we Mm -hmm. learned about that as well these cognitive uh, techniques that our brain utilizes to be able to take in everything because it can't consider it all but you know we should take the moment that the time to see one another as we are in this moment rather than with labels and ideas that we put over them over over them and don't just do this with people do this with something like a tree take the word tree peel the label tree from any tree that you see in your environment and see this crazy thing that's fractaling out of the ground that's consequent of earth and sunlight and what the heck is this thing and look how it's like trained itself out to perfectly be able to catch the sun from so many different angles and it even slowly moves it's leaves, the things that we call leaves, what are those? Look at all of it, you know, to, to question what is this existence and look within with self inquiry to question who am I and to think about all the ideas of yourself that you've had throughout your life and all of your attachments and the story that we keep on finding ourselves rewriting ourselves into, you know, where we keep on falling into this, these narratives and when we're just believing in narratives are we actually really in communion with reality <sighs> yeah but yeah on that tired note Oof. guys let's yeah, wind sorry. down sorry i'm uh, just ate getting sleepy <laughs> yeah it's it's about time for for us to uh to wrap it up and mm-hmm. i hope all all of you out there are doing well be sure to like and subscribe if you like this check out john Verveki if you like him as well check out american dharma on February 10th, Friday, in Baltimore at Zen West. We're going to be rocking with Benny OK and uh, who else? Kenny and Rise 8. And then February 11th, we're going to be in Hedgesville at Seven Moons, at Unit 6, right next door to Seven Moons, actually. And that is going to be an event with Cannon Hill and Rattle Root. Uh, it's gonna be a hell of a fun time
1: rattle root that sounds yeah, like a dancing
0: they, tree they seem really cool i dig what they're doing i checked a little bit of their stuff out we love cannon hill and we're great friends with all those guys Bunch well. of knuckleheads benny okay is freaking great too man yeah. they're a really great band rise Eight is really cool so yeah i mean and zen west is an amazing venue yeah. so yeah february 10th and february 11th because seven moons is also a really really cool little wellness shop where you can get all kinds of Beautiful spiritual knickknacks and oh, books right. and crystals yeah, up and in Hedgesville. Yeah. Hedgesville is an interesting little town.
1: Uh, seemed, it's like literally a postage stamp and massage, massages you can get. Yeah, they have that. And also right down the street is a specialty pet food place where you can get all your non-GMO properly, whatever, balanced oh, yeah, foods yeah, for yeah. all your stuff. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. And you can get good local honey d- down the street the other way. Yum. tiny forgotten postage it stamped out yeah buy from your locals your local friends and fam independent businesses guys as, as much as you can Walmart's got enough yeah well and even beyond that is the Amazon dude oh true you that Walmart was bad now it's Walmart in your pocket Bezos got enough
0: too yeah right he's got enough all right, he's not well. doing. I don't know. I'm not going to go off there. Yeah, yeah, Let yeah. Let that one go. Round around 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 around. Yes. Rad, it's, rad, rad. What are you doing? What are you doing with all of that amassed wealth, there, buddy? Mr. Bill Gates also.
1: Oh yeah. Well, don't get me started
0: on that schmuck. Yeah. Now okay. let's, let's be careful before we get ourselves. Yeah, yeah, in trouble. Of, uh, yeah, yeah. All right. We love you guys. Love you. We love you too, big brother. And uh, <laughs> talk to you soon.